What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not Christianity is a deception, and we are starting right now with Adam's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Adam. The floor is all yours. Thank you. I am Adam Green. I've been making videos online at No More News since 2014, focusing on the Judeo-Christian religions and politics. I cover news, do deep, deep research presentations, documentaries, compilations, interviews, and debates. I've been watching Modern Day Debates for many years. Very happy to be here. It's my maiden voyage, so thank you, James, and good to meet you, Stuart. The topic, is Christianity a deception? If The way I look at it, if Christianity is not true, which it's not, then it's false. If Christianity is false, then Christians are deceived into a falsehood. If Christians are deceived, then Christianity is a deception. The Bible is the most successful deception of all time. Half the world believes in the God of Abraham. For 2,000 years, it has dominated history more than any other thing. Jesus is the most influential character in history. Even our dating, 2023, in the, quote, year of our Lord, is based on the supposed virgin birth of the Son of God, the Torah Moshiach. The Bible is the most printed book of all time, the most influential book of all time. It's the greatest story ever told and it's the biggest con ever sold. Christianity is deception of religious conquest and theological warfare. In the Bible, Yahweh and his chosen people, his, quote, nation of priests, have a special divine role to be a light unto the nations. And the ultimate goal is to have the whole world worship the God of Israel from Zion. Yahweh is a jealous God who wants the whole world to worship and fear him. He aims to eradicate, quote, idol worship, which essentially means to conquer all other religions and cultures, and have a one-world religion, one-world government ruled by the Torah Messiah from Zion, according to the divine plan of God, the script, the scriptures laid out by the prophet. It was the norm in ancient times that Israelites would scour the scriptures, searching for clues and mysteries about the redemption and the Messiah. They re they're reading the Old Testament scriptures esoterically in Pesher style 
midrashic style, basically creating fan fiction, prophecy-fulfilling myths that were revealed from the scriptures. The Jesus character, as portrayed in the Bible, certainly did not exist. The creators of the Christian deception were frauds in the sense that the Gospels are a prophecy-fulfilling literary construct. They report things that did not happen. Christianity is a fraud and deception because it's predicated on the Old Testament, which is clearly non-historical mythologies and legends. Is it more likely that the laws of nature were broken with all the purported miracles of the Bible or that some ancient Israelites fabricated these stories? Given that we know that people lie all the time, we know religiously motivated myth-making was the norm back then, but there's no legitimate evidence of miracles or, or breaking of the laws of physics, the naturalistic, realistic, common sense, Occam's razor, far more likely explanation that everybody would have to admit that is that the plausibility that the, and the likelihood that these are myths. St. Paul, the real founder of Christianity as we know it, was Saul the Pharisee. He was well-versed in the Old Testament. He knew the prophecy agenda expressed throughout the Torah that the nations would be essentially conquered by the Messiah and would worship the God of Israel. He quotes, Paul quotes how Jesus would bring, quote, obedient and judgment to the Gentiles. He would, quote, rule like a rod of iron in the land of thine enemies. That's the Gentile nations. He would reign over the Gentiles, quote, reign over the Gentiles and make them his footstool. The rule and purpose of the Torah Messiah was to conquer the nations, and the Jesus myth undoubtedly accomplished this through Christianity and Islam. This is the consensus view in Orthodox Judaism. They believe Christianity and Islam, the religions of Esau and Ishmael, are no accident, but fulfilling God's divine plan, fulfilling prophecy, eradicating the idol worship, and preparing the world for the messianic age, like the top rabbi in Judaism, Maimonides, said. Paul was either self-deceived, delusional, or intentionally deceiving when he became the, quote, apostle to the Gentiles, targeting the Gentile world for conversion to Torah messianism. He wanted the God of Israel fearing Gentiles, God-fearing, and basically following the Noahide commandments. Paul wanted the Gentiles to worship Yahweh according to the prophecies, but not by circumcising and not by observing the mitzvahs and not by becoming Jews themselves, but being a separate religion. Because they are the, the holy seed must of the descendants of Jacob must be kept separate from the chosen and the not chosen. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, half of those letters are attributed to Paul, but according to scholars, only half of those are actually written by Paul. The rest are essentially forgeries. We have no originals of any of these. And they, of course, come from uh, before the Gospels, but still decades after the supposed events. Paul never claimed to have met Jesus. He only supposedly appeared to him in visions, in revelations, the road to Damascus, which are not in any of the epistles, only later in Acts. And so he saw Jesus in revelations and in the scriptures. It's a very common theme throughout the New Testament that to fulfill the scriptures or as the prophet says, it, it makes it almost obvious that this is what they're doing is making a new myth from the old myths, artificially fulfilling these prophecies. And the gospels are expanding on Paul's epistles, which came first, uh, expanding on a guy that never even knew Jesus. We have no 
extra biblical contemporary eyewitnesses documentation of Jesus. You'll they'll throw out Josephus, they'll throw out Tacitus. None of that proves Jesus. Those weren't they weren't even born when Jesus supposedly died. It's 60 to 80 years after uh the supposed death of Jesus. And so there's the silence there. It's very inconvenient to have such a huge silence for the son of God walking on earth to have such little proof. And it's extra inconvenient is that there's also a huge silence from Paul, who wrote basically nothing about the biographical details of Jesus. Paul had disputes with the other apostles who supposedly knew Jesus. It's inexplicable that a man who never met Jesus had any authority on these contentious doctrinal issues, let alone Pauline theology was most influential and half of the New Testament is from Paul. And suspicious that we only have all these early documents from Paul. Where are all the other apostles in their letters? Paul says, have I not also seen the Lord? That implies the idea that the other apostles were just seeing Jesus, reading him out of the scriptures as Paul did. Otherwise, he would have no authority over these uh, these um, disagreements that they were having. And Christians are deceived into thinking they must, let me think about this, deceived into thinking that they must believe in the God of Israel, the power of Hebrew prophecies, and the scapegoat blood magic atonement ritual sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, the son of God who had to die for our sins because Adam and Eve were tempted by a serpent. Believe all that or else you go to hell for eternity. This, it's That's a deception. Christians are deceived into believing an ancient mythological superhero was born a virgin, performed countless impossible miracles, and will one day return from heaven in a blazing glory on a cloud, riding a white horse with a sword and a blood-soaked robe and a bunch of angels. All of this is clearly not true, and thus a deception. Given all these things, it's very clear Christianity is not only false, but a fraud, a hoax, and a deception. And I'll end it there. Thank you very much for that opening, Adam. And want to say, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. I'm your host, James, and we hope you feel welcome. No matter what walk of life you are from, atheist, Christian, you name it, we're glad that you are here. And also want to let you know, huge announcement. My dear friends, if you have not seen on the homepage here on YouTube for Modern Day Debate, we have release the debate card for our upcoming in-person debate conference on saturday april 22nd the link for viewing all of these debates for the crowdfund is down in the description box you can watch all of these live for the entire conference for just a dollar so i'm going to put that link for the crowdfund that just helps us cover conference costs, for example, the venue. And you can see these debates are going to be huge. For example, Inspiring Philosophy, Mike Jones, one of the most popular apologetics or Christian apologetics channels out there today. As you can see at the bottom right of your screen, he'll be taking on Daniel Hakikachu, one of the best Muslim debaters today. It is going to be a true slobber knocker. You don't want to miss it. I will put that crowdfund link in the description box, as I said, or it's in the description box already. I'll put it in the live chat. So do check that out, as you're not going to want to miss out on this huge conference. And with that, thank you very much. Stuart, the floor is all yours for your opening as well. Thank you, James, for another good one, Adam. Appreciate the new content. Good to meet you. Just starting out. The Old Testament and the Israelites specifically, everybody makes truth claims. Every single worldview, atheists, Hindus, Buddhists, you name it. 
even the pluralists who say every religion is the same, that is a truth claim and it's exclusive. If you go to the Israelites in the Old Testament and you start out specifically in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, what you have there is God coming in such a way where he makes covenants. And you brought up Paul a lot. Paul is connected beautifully to the Old Testament and his covenant type of language. And you see, for example, in Romans 12, just like with Martin Luther, took them a long time, Paul quicker, fortunately, because of his road to Damascus experience. But still, you could see him working through his letters in terms of understanding how are you saved by Christ? What, what is saving faith? And it's not based off of this law. Just read the book of Galatians over and over again. You're supposed to boast in the cross, not what you've done. Very, very alien to anybody living in the great U.S. of A, because everybody lives in a meritocracy. Whatever you do in life, you have to do it better in order to earn. And so understanding, and this is why I think Adam missed a lot of it, understanding grace is a head and heart issue. And Paul, again, Adam brought up Paul so much, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about how the cross is foolishness, absolute foolishness. I, I love that honesty. That he's not just dusting over things and saying, hey, this makes sense. Hello, just, just get it. No, he struggles with it himself. He wrestles with it. And that foolishness is getting to the point of understanding I'm saved through a type of grace, not my own works, not by this law, not the Pentateuch, not the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the 613 commandments. No, none of those. It's a radical switch and shift that you see through the details that Paul offers in his letters. And then he theologically teases that out in a beautiful kind of way. But we'll get back to that in a second. I go back to the Old Testament. Covenant language. God clearly says, I love you, Abraham. There will be blessings and curses. The curses will come if you disobey. You're going to harm yourself. So don't disobey. It's just like any good parent with a child. Don't disobey or it's going to lead to your own demise. So there will be discipline. And yet, it's fascinating how they break this type of carcass, which you did during a covenant in that covenant era, where God walks down the middle instead of Abraham. And when that occurs, God is basically saying, if I break this covenant, let me be like these carcasses. And so he's automatically showing that's a prophecy right there of what's to come with Christ being willing to go to the cross to sacrifice himself for us. Now you fast forward to 15, chapter 15, and you got Abraham. And you got God saying, your descendants are going to be as numerous as these stars. And he makes all these incredible promises to Abraham. And it's not focused just on the Jewish people. It's focused on all people. It's a light to the Gentiles, so all nations. And that gets fleshed out throughout Scripture all the way down to, for example, Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. Samaritan, a Jew, never supposed to mix. And yet, what does the Bible highlight? Highlights the Good Samaritan, not the Jew. And so when I have an atheist come at me and say, oh, it's all about just the Jews and they're making up everything and they're highlighted and they're the saved people. It's no, there are endless amounts of examples. One of the best is the Good Samaritan that everybody and their mother knows about that story. And it's about the Good Samaritan, not the good Jew. So all people groups are lifted up. They're all elevated. So starting with the Old Testament, it's fleshed out beautifully. And then we get to the New Testament. and. Adam brought up many times, Jesus does not exist. He never existed. Well, you're going to be debating there with about 99.4, you decide on the point, percent of historical scholars at every single major university across the country. Now, if you go to religious scholars, oddly enough, 
that number is lower. Why is that? Well, you ask any scholar and academic, it's because they're selling books. Adam, if you go out right now and write a nice book talking about how Jesus is, say like Joe Rogan talks about, a nice mushroom, you will make a lot of money if you can get that kind of selling just a little bit. Okay, those are religious scholars. You talk to any historical scholar and they will say, Jesus Christ in physical form existed. Some will say he's a rabbi, a philosopher. Some will say he was just a slave or a servant type. Some will say he was the son of God. But they were all agreeing, and they all do agree still today, that he was a physical character. I mean, even you take Muslims, even you take Buddhists. Everybody agrees that Jesus was a historical figure. Now, if you want to go back, I think your dating was off. Even if you go back to the external sources outside of the Bible, you know, we got the Greek, we got the Hellenized, we've got the Jewish sources. Thallus, for example, 52 AD, talked about how Jesus lived, he was crucified, and there was this great earthquake and darkness at the point of his crucifixion, which so many atheists say, oh, we'd have no account of that. Thallus talked about that himself. Definitely not a Christian, definitely not a Christ follower, I would say. Or Tacitus, 56 AD, talked about how Jesus lived in Judea, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, had followers who were persecuted for their faith. Marabar Serpion, that was 70 AD, still all written before even the Gospel of John was written. He talked about how there was Jewish, Jewish leadership that was responsible for Jesus' death. Flagian, 80, 80 AD, he talked about the crucified Christ under Tiberius Caesar and how he was resurrected. Plenty the Younger, 61 AD, talked about followers and how they met regularly to worship Jesus early on and that there's a high theology Christology right from the beginning where the followers of Christ after his resurrection, there was no legend that grew out, but even, even plenty of the younger says right from the beginning, they were worshiping Jesus as Lord. It's a pretty big deal. Suetonius 69 AD, they were committed to believing that Jesus was God. These Christians, he said, Lucian in 115 Greek satirist, Jesus taught about repentance about the family of God and how, again, Jesus's teachings and who he was were immediately adopted. There was not legend that grew over time. These are hostile sources. Then Celsus, obviously another hostile source, talked about the heavenly father connection with Jesus. And then you get the non-biblical Jewish accounts. So we all know Josephus. Jesus lived in Palestine. He said he worked amazing deeds. He was accused by the Jews, crucified under Pilate, and then his followers became Christians. And we would say that was in Antioch. And then the Jewish Talmud, 400 AD, Jesus practiced magic, it said, and was led astray and led Jews astray. They had disciples, Jesus had disciples who were martyred for their faith and were executed on the day before Passover. And then lastly, you get the Toledo Yeshu in 1000 AD. So this comes much later. A medieval Jewish retelling of the life of Christ. And it was obviously completely anti-Christian, and yet talking about how Jesus lived clearly as a historical figure. So then you get down to Paul. You talked a lot about Paul. I, I, you've got a role with Paul in many ways. I, I, I get the some of the confusion there. I, I'm, I'm with you. But I personally believe it's a no-brainer. I mean, when he starts off, he has this radical conversion. Obviously, something hit him pretty hard. It was some form of revelation. I've known many people, Christian, non-Christian, who've had revelations of some sort. 
And I would say it was probably what's talked about most in the Bible yet again, that word grace, to see him change from someone who was holding cloaks for people to stone somebody like Stephen to death and many other Christians persecuting him, to all of a sudden be willing to die for his own faith and other Christians' faith because he was such a radical Christ follower who wanted and said, just like Jesus' brother James, who ended up getting thrown off a balcony to his death, who was high up in the Sanhedrin, they both are very similar in the sense of such a radical, quick conversion. Paul, Saul of Paul, and his encounter with Christ, but then James, the physical encounter with his brother, are willing to all of a sudden die for their faith, when right before then, they were considered at the very top, the very tippy top of their career path and how they were able to win so many people over to the Torah and then just this radical shift. So Paul, you, you got you to work with, because again, Paul talks about Christ so much. I agree with you. You go to say 1 Corinthians 15 through through 8, that's the oldest type of hymn. You got Philippians 2, you got another one in 1 Thessalonians. You got a lot of ancient hymns or doctrines that show a high Christology that Paul talked about. And when he says over and over again, saying 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, according to the scriptures, it's interesting how you took that in a negative route. I take that in a positive route because he's talking about what happened at Passover, what happened with what, what takes up 33% of the Gospels. It's the passion narrative. It's the final days of Christ and the death of Christ. And he's referencing according to the scriptures, according to what was going to happen and what did happen through Christ, according to what would happen at communion. And so you have to wrestle with that. And then you have to wrestle again, go back to the historicity of who Jesus Christ was. So you're just going to say all of this supposedly was expected and fabricated. Well, you're going to have to wrestle then with the reliability of Jesus' historical figure, the reliability of the Gospels, whether that occurred. You're going to have to wrestle with all of these extra biblical sources that I mentioned. And you're going to have to wrestle with the entire Christian movement and who in the world would want to be a Christian during that day and age for those first 300 years before Constantine. Nobody would. So what ultimately was the reason why so many of these Christians were dying for supposedly what they knew to be a lie or this great deception? And then your last point on, you know, Jesus returning on the clouds and the white horse and the judgment, the bloodiest book of the Bible, at least I see it as, and was John when he was writing it, was he a schizophrenic? Maybe. But I have a tough time with your with your poking at that because obviously it's apocalyptic literature and genre. And time. Got it. We're going to jump into the open conversation. But first, I want to say this, folks. As I mentioned, we hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you're from. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button as we have many more juicy debates coming up here. For example, at the bottom right of your screen, RN Raw and Tom Jump are going to be debating at our upcoming conference Saturday, April 22nd on whether or not religion does more harm than good. You don't want to miss that slobber knocker of a debate, so hit subscribe. And with that, thank you very much, Stuart and Adam. The floor is all yours. All right, oh, Adam, you're on mute yet. Adam. Sorry. So, yeah, I have some thoughts on uh, your opening statement there. Um, you mentioned you, you started to talk about the Abrahamic covenants and 
I think that all of that is just absolutely absurd. The idea that God is going to come to him and say, sacrifice your son to prove your loyalty to me. And then he's going to say, uh, chop off your foreskin. You like you've been deceived into worshiping a deity that wants genital mutilation of eight, eight day old, eight day old boys. It's uh, ancient and barbaric. And then also you mentioned the uh, splitting apart of the animal carcasses so God can carry the torch through to declare the covenant. I mean, doesn't this sound like Harry Potter type stuff to you? Do you really think that that's how the co- God made a covenant with all of, all of mankind? And uh, one more thought on the Abraham, and then I'll get, let you respond. The whole idea of affirming the Abrahamic covenant, because all Christians believe that they have the new covenant. So to believe in the new covenant, you have to affirm and corroborate the old covenant. I see this as enabling Judaism as well as as uh, Islam. I see you all as codependents, kind of holding up this Abrahamic uh, paradigm. And uh, Abraham, you also said, all it says, all nations will be blessed through him. That's where Paul uh, Paul cites that that he read the scriptures and thought this is what we're supposed to do. All the nations are supposed to come in, meaning. Esau, which represents Christianity, the firstborn son of Isaac, and then Ishmael, which is represents Islam as well. So um, your response to that, I guess? I could keep going, but we'll just go point by point instead of trying to address all the your 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah, the first point with the foreskins, that was many civilizations were doing the same sort of thing during wartime. That, that, was a, that was a savage, ancient Near Eastern cultural practice that came with winning and losing battles. But to your first point on Abraham and Isaac, since that's where you started, Genesis chapter 22, there was nothing about that test where God was going to have Abraham kill his son, Isaac, for two reasons. One, because God obviously spared the life, and Abraham said to Isaac that God will provide so Abraham was not going to lie to Isaac, was he? And then Is that secondly, a story? Was that secondly, a story that you would want to, to tell your children? Secondly, he said to his servants, yeah. we will be back. We will be back. And so it was a test about idolatry. And the reason, you know, idolatry gets a, a poor rap in our culture today. But just to let you know, idolatry is an incredibly important word. And I love how so many secular authors are picking up on it in the sense of, if you make an idol of anything good or bad and you really worship it, you know, you can call it a different type of word. But if that's what your whole life is comprised of really focusing on, it's going to eat you alive. And so God's whole test is just this, the vacuum inside of Abraham's heart in terms of, well, do you want something else in there or do you want me in there? And it's not this type of jealousy that you were talking about. I mean, we could deconstruct what that means in terms of what that jealous word means. But that's how you, that's how you solve the Abraham and Isaac issue. I don't think it solves an issue. Is that the type of story that you would want to teach to children that we're supposed to have such mindless devotion to this uh, voice in the sky that you're willing to sacrifice your own children? I get that it's allegorical. I agree with that. And that's what the point I'm trying to say. Do you think that that literally happened just like that? If my child goes outside and all of a sudden looks up to the heavens and starts saying that he's hearing voices, no, I'm going to take him to a psychiatrist before to, I take him to... As, as anybody should. And, and to dismiss uh, the depravity of circumcision, 
genital mutilation of babies that can't consent to such a uh, non-medical procedure that is tremendously tremendously painful and not even anatomically correct and say, well, other people were doing it to the people they conquered. They're slaves or something. That doesn't make it any better. That just shows to me that it, the the uh, Hebrews just adopted this like they adopted everything else. Their Canaanite God and stuff from the Egyptians and the Sumerians and all these older stories. That's just another thing that they incorporated as their own. And um, it, it's awful. I, I hate that that because you believe in the Bible, you've become an apologist for genital mutilation and a God that commands people to stone blasphemers as well as hit your slave and it's okay and slaughter ethnic cleanse your neighbors and take the virgin girls for yourselves. It like as well as Exodus 21, six and all of the reasons why the great abolitionists ended up saying we're going to be the prohibitionists mm. And slavery in was done in British Parliament as well as in the U.S., and that's why a runaway slave by the name of Frederick Douglass, who became a pretty big deal, who was African-American, said, if we don't go back to the Bible and actually interpret correctly, there's going to be nothing foundational to actually going out and fighting for the oppressed, for the slave, for the black in this specific case scenario. There's no moral foundation for it, he said. And then it leads to the miracle of the black church. I mean, what longer standing, healthier church in the history of the world has been stronger than the black church, the miracle of the black church. And that came directly out of what Christians did, black and white, with prohibition. No, they used the Bible for years to justify uh, Absolutely. The, slave, the slave trade. Absolutely. And and because uh, and apparently they couldn't put it in the Ten Commandments, they couldn't get that in there. They had to kvetch about idol worship and blasphemy and, and these things. But um Next, you next you moved on to the historicity of Jesus. And um, have you read like Richard Carrier's historicity of Jesus? Wait, I thought I'm supposed to be challenging. Let's go question for question here since you started. Okay. You said, yeah, that's you fine. Said, you said, I mean, I mean, that's, that's a good, we'll go back to that. No, that's cool. Take so you said, asking the questions. Go ahead. You, you said the Gentiles, mm -hmm. clearly Paul talked about the Gentiles, that there was supposed to be a separate religion and that he battled with the disciples over that are the gentiles included no no he thought it was a continuation of an of basically the same judaism but but that the gentiles could be grafted into but it, it essentially did become sort of sort of a different sect in judaism the, the point i was making is that he didn't want the gentiles to be circumcised he didn't want them to become jews the problem was they needed the nations to worship yahweh without becoming jews so how did they solve that how did they accomplish that goal with christianity and islam which they consider islam noahide compliant they they consider christianity like i said preparing the world for the messianic age it's part of their plan for the one world religion the abraham accords the uh the uh, end times prophecies to be fulfilled everybody playing their roles in the Armageddon script. Well, Paul did not want everybody to get circumcised. He was not pushing for this Judeo. That's what I said. Broadway. No, he, he dope slapped Peter in Galatians chapter two, and he wanted a universal understanding of faith in Christ. Right. We agree on that because I, maybe I missed it, but I could have sworn I heard you say, that there was tremendous discrepancy between the disciples and Paul's messaging on that very issue. Mm -hmm. On but several issues like that, yeah. Peter. He had to correct Peter, and Peter got in line really quickly, if you read Galatians chapter 2, 
Yeah. Amazing that Jesus couldn't clearly uh, let that ruling be known to his disciples that actually knew him when he was supposedly on earth. It had to take a guy that never met him that saw him in the scriptures and in visions to uh, to clear up that that issue that they had. And you know, what's so funny is that if the Bible and the message was really being tampered with, why didn't Jesus supposedly just clear it up early on instead of it lasting for so long? Whoever supposedly made up these scriptures. No, they left it in there, and it's embarrassing detail that lasted so long. So I would say that's more credibility for the historicity of the Bible rather than, to your point, of somehow it's it's connected to fairy tale or, or Jesus' no. miscommunication. They left it in there, but who knows what they took out. And in Acts, they did try to resolve and make it look like it was more of a unified church when really Christianity started off with a diversity of different Christian sects and ideas. Wait, where's your source for that? Adam, where's your source for that? Richard Carrier's Historicity of Jesus. What does he say? He talks about all the di- the different Jewish Gnostic sects and all the different uh, types of, even Paul says there's people that worship other Christ. There's are already having divisions. There's not some like handing the baton from Jesus to Peter to founding the, the rock of the church. That's not how it went down at all. They were having huge beefs from the onset of Christianity all the way up till third century when the Orthodox had enough power to suppress a- anybody that uh, disagreed on anything. Now, the Gnostic Gospels and the power of Gnosticism didn't come about until the mid-200s. Well, that that's the way the Christians like to date it, because otherwise it would disprove Christianity, which, are you familiar with the Melchizedek <laughs> Scroll? Dispro- How would that disprove Christianity? That's a are you familiar talk. with the Melchizedek Scroll from Qumran? A little bit. I'm, I'm more familiar with the Isaiah Scroll. Okay. It's, it's written, Melchizedek Scroll, it's written in Hebrew. It's dated to 100 BC, 100 years before the supposed birth of, of Christ. And it is a Pesher document. They are, Qumran, the Essenes, they're reading different scriptures like they were back then esoterically to try to figure out when's the Messiah coming? What's redemption going to look like? When are we going to be, you know, saved from the Romans? And in this Melchizedek scroll, they connect prophecies in Isaiah 61, Isaiah 52, which is 52 and 53, the suffering servant. And he connects that to Daniel 9. These are the same verses that later Christians also look toward to create their myth of Jesus. So this proves that this is what they were doing. This this proves that uh, it's the same thing that we're seeing in the Bible, which you didn't address that at all, that all of the Jesus myth, you mentioned the passion. The passion can be completely derived from Old Testament scriptures. And a lot of times this is written in Greek because it was targeting the, the Gentile world. They're they're quoting Jesus's words, but it's coming, it's actually quoting from the Septuagint. So why would an Aramaic-speaking Jesus be them putting words into his mouth from the Septuagint, which is in Greek? It just shows that it's fraudulent. No, it's interesting theorizing, but what's the motive? What's the motive if Jesus is going to go to the cross? And why would a Jewish society, which this would be the last type of worldview and religion that they would want to pick up, why would they accept that and then 380,000 of them be willing to die in a single Roman Colosseum for their faith in the most painful kind of ways imaginable? Well, they would. They, the Roman Empire went from persecuting Christianity and Judaism until Christianity grew and spread in Rome, and then they started imposing Christianity, Torah messianism, and the God of Israel on the whole world. You, that doesn't seem like it like a, a played into the scriptures, using the Roman Empire to spread the commandments and the laws of Moses and the God of Israel. So, uh, I mean, persecution you, started from the get-go. It didn't start in 300 when Constantine I know. came to power. I know. 
No, I, thought you I didn't said- say that it did. What was your point? My point is that it went from persecuting Christians, which they probably saw it as a, as a, a, a spin-off sect of Judaism that was a subversion to Rome. So I would imagine there would be some persecution. Um, I would have, especially because Christianity is monotheistic and you can't tolerate and get along with the pagan gods. So of course there were, there was issues there, but that. What's again, like that all sounds fancy and I can see a few connections. (laughs) What is their motivation? Like why would anybody in the first 300 years before Constantine ever want to become a Christian when you're losing all your friends, all your property, your kids are getting dragged off to prison. And then there's plenty of things that are appealing. Brutally mutilated. You 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 obviously see the appeal in Christianity. Billions of people throughout history have all obviously seen the appeal in Christianity, I don't see- especially the Roman Empire that was start that was very barbaric and kind of going into decline and stuff. Christianity was seen as a good thing for a lot of ways. That's why it eventually, when the Roman Empire collapsed, it ended up uh, growing and taking over. But also a lot of the suffering of the martyrs and stuff, this is coming from traditions. I don't know that this stuff legitimately actually happened. I know the Romans were brutal and did probably persecute a lot of people, but I like I don't believe all these uh, Christian church father. Well, you can take me as of- as your ultimate Christian source right now, because I not too long ago was over at the Roman Coliseum listening to secular tour guides. And everybody takes that one to the bank that persecution started right after Jesus's resurrection. Well, I mean, they were conquering. Nero, they were conquering all Jerusalem a hundred years before that with Pompeii. Right there. But uh, all right, so back to one of my questions then. Okay, so the history oh, wait, wait, of wait. Jesus. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, did you, just, you did were you, you just so went three. Keep so, going then. So how, in light of how just about like literally almost every single major historical scholar, ancient historical scholar throughout the U.S. believes that Jesus was a historical figure. How do you, one, not accept that? And then two, what in the world was he then? What what was Jesus then? He was a mythological was character that they that they found from scripture. He's a syncretic amalgamation of many different pagan concepts, concepts and motifs from the Old Testament. And uh, I'm asking, have you read any books on the mythicist Jesus, like Richard Carrier's books a li- a few. Or, or Nailed? You need to read Not Richard Carrier's book, otherwise you're you're highly uninformed on this topic. And I, you're throwing I out. Bit, I this will is, never read on. every page of a Carrier book. Okay, I you, go sh- by, you should listen to it on Audible. I, I literally, on all the college campuses I speak at, and all the professors I've debated, d- debated uh, so many of the major professors across across the U.S. on YouTube when I was just hold up during COVID. Mm-hmm. Not a single one of them, Columbia, Yale, not a single mm-hmm. one of them even came close to saying that Jesus wasn't a historical figure. I'm aware they have yeah, a mythicist. A Hold on. They I'm have a mythicist. More than Carrier Jesus. to let me know that. They have well well Carrier I I've been studying him. I I watch all the other top academics like Bart Ehrman and and McDonald yeah, and others. Was. I, Bart I, I watch says. I know I, I watch them all and I think they're wrong. Bart Ehrman went to uh Christian schools. He's made a whole career on what the historical Jesus really was. Most of them have a have a minimal mythicist Jesus where they say there's a kernel of truth. It was a he was a rabbi and he had a small following and he was killed by the Romans, and that's about it. And all the rest they admit is fiction written from the scriptures. I got books like gospel fictions from Randall Helms, uh David Fitzgerald's uh nailed and mything in action. They go over all of this, where the Jesus myth came from. And it is the 
fallacy appeal to authority to say, oh, well, the, these prestigious uh, academics, all these people, uh, acad- academia used no, to no, say no, I, that I named, they used to say Moses was real and it took a while, but now 16, they realize that's not real. I named 16 the, of the 25 the, Greek and Jewish non-biblical sources talking about no, Jesus no, no, Christ okay, from early dates. And then I named some of these sources. No, see, you, my issue, my no, issue hold with you on, is, hold on. I think again, that point. conspiracy theorists. I, no, no, borderline just to be sure that there's not theorists. too much interrupting. You're you're borderline yeah. conspiracy theorist right now. Just in, no. in terms of believe point, in the guy walked on water. You're a conspiracy theorist. And my my whole issue is. Well, the reason Stuart, why I don't think wrap you would, it up, Stuart, and then I've got to give right. Adam a chance yeah. to respond. I, I guarantee I don't if think you, you would. Last Carrier, sentence, last he would own you I on do every not point think, on this. I don't think you would stick with this, and you know it's wrong, but you have to, or your entire position falls apart. No, not at all. Not at all. There could be there could be a kernel of an actual Yeshua that lived in first century. It could even be based on Jesus Benanias or um, Jesus Pantera that they talk about in the Talmud, but. You cited the Talmud as proof of Jesus. I got the book, The Jesus the Jews Never Knew by Frank Zindler, where it goes in deep how actually the Talmud is not any good proof of Jesus. Carrier and Fitzgerald go into this. You would know this if you read their chapters on the topic. Also, Tolda Yeshu, this book from a thousand years ago, That's you can't cite a book from a thousand years ago and say that's proof for Jesus. You're throwing out a list of all these names. Thallus, I'd have to see the source on that. I don't think that's credible. Um, Josephus and Tacitus, you listed the days that the dates that they were born, not when they actually wrote these things. These are not good proofs of Jesus. This is actually proof that there's not a historical figure. It's not a conspiracy theory to say that people came up with a mythological character. You think all the rest of the mythical gods and stories are fictional, but if you don't believe this one, and in your case, do you believe like all the miracles of Jesus, or you think those are metaphors? Uh, multiplying bread, ra- uh, rose from the dead walked on water you think all those are literal it depends if you're asking me from a philosophical or historical perspective and stance historical no it's a philosophical question oh my gosh that is such such evasion (laughs) no it's not at all okay that's always the question over miracles uh it's if you allow the supernatural or not are you going to listen to more the blaze pascal or the david hume both great minds but they both struggled over this one and said, right from the get-go, it's a supernatural question. You don't just jump to the historical. It's it's are you going to allow the room for a supernatural to take place? Then there will be a pause of what we consider laws, when in fact, we these laws in many ways are broken. We obviously know the perfect law is God's law, but from a physical understanding of things, God can intervene and absolutely change the laws of nature for a moment if God is actually here on this planet, I mean, th- that's not a long shot whatsoever. So that's the one you got to wrestle with. And yes, I, I, I don't, do- I don't p- pity being a Christian apologist and having to defend the indefensible. The, these stories, like uh, a staff turning into a serpent, a woman into a pillar of salts. You, you're not a young Earth creationist, right? So you don't believe in Adam and Eve. That doesn't mean that. Well. So billions of Christians throughout history have been just completely wrong on that because God can't speak. Let's I think, honestly, I've seen your other debates with Aaron Raw and Matt Dillahunty, who are the guys that deprogrammed me from my Christian Christian upbringing about 15 years ago. And I've seen the super chats ganging up on you in the comments. And I feel like you took a beating there. But 
uh, there's this theme that, oh, you might be leaving Christianity, you might be an atheist, you might be having doubts. I think if we go into some of these verses, it'll hit home a little stronger on how Christianity is a deception. Can we do that? Absolutely. If if we go one for one. Sure. You got the burden of proof here, don't forget. Uh, no, actually, you we, we kind of both do. We you both have do. to prove that Christianity is true, and I have to prove that it's not true. That's really what we're doing. And I think it's not true, and it's also a deception. So All right, let's look at this. This is Paul, Romans 15, 12. Isaiah said, there shall be a root of Jesse, that means the Messiah, and he sh that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. This is a citation, Paul being inspired of this Jesus character from Isaiah, one of the top books that he pulls the Jesus myth from. And it says, in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which will stand for a ensign, a banner of the people. To it, to the Messiah, will the Gentiles seek and reign over us. So can you agree that the, the the purpose of the Torah Messiah to Second Temple Judaism was to come and redeem God's chosen people and to basically conquer the Romans, right? Conquer the world. What do you mean by conquer? Like, theologically conquer the world. Have all the world, every tongue confess, every knee bow. I, I, what are you trying to get at? I'm asking, the, what is the goal of the Messiah in the Torah? What is, what is he supposed to do? The goal in the Old Testament? Is it to reign over the Gentiles, like it says here for Paul? So to Christians reign. are being reigned over. Yeah. Like, and following the Torah Messiah, like, like a flock of sheep. Yep. And none of, that doesn't sound like a deception at all. Look at this. So Paul is citing this verse from Isaiah 11.10. You go to the beginning of the chapter of Isaiah, 11.1-2. It says, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This concept of the rod is another biblical theme of the Messiah. The rod out of Zion will rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So who is the enemies that Jesus is ruling over right now from the Isaiah Hebrew perspective? He will rule over thine enemies? Yeah. yeah. You, Christians are the enemies. He's ruling over the nations, which are the Christians. Right? Will, the enemies in the, in the Old Testament, enemies are an incredibly, it's an incredibly diffuse term. If you look in the Psalms alone, Enemies can even be your own family at times. You have to read David in the Psalms. And so when he talks about enemies there, there's not going to be a clear understanding of what exactly those enemies are. It's, it's the Christians that he's ruling over. That, that, that's who they wanted to conquer was the nations. All right, here, one more. One more and I'll, what? You think the Jews wanted to conquer the Christians? No, I think that the, the, the role of the nation of priests was to get all of the nations to worship the God of Israel and eradicate idol worship. Can you okay. agree with that? That's the objective of the Torah? All the world worshiping the one God of Israel, right? The objective of the Torah mm -hmm. was to start out understanding monotheism. The one true God of Israel. Predestination. Chosen. Covenant. 
And then the Torah and the Ten Commandments was all about, again, worshiping God and learning how to love neighbor. You, you believe that they're chosen by God. They're above the nations, as it said, his treasured possession, the apple of his eye. If you, those that will not uh, serve them shall perish. Like if you, the, if you the, read Deuteronomy nations, 7, you, if you read Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 4, Galatians 3, everywhere in the Bible, that's like three of probably 50 to 75 places that talk about how God did not choose Israel because it had any type of strength, power, beauty, wealth. In no way were they chosen for anything other than God's grace. I I didn't say that. What are you saying? I didn't say that he chose them because they were better. I said that he calls them above the nations. In, In Deuteronomy, it says that they shall reign over the nations. Yeah. The, the, um, here's uh, here's one more, and then I'll let you uh, have the floor for a question. Share. Are we sharing right now? No, share screen. Here we go. Now, Psalms 22, everybody can agree that Psalms 22 is a, quote, prophetic verse, but really this is just where they got the inspiration for the crucifixion narrative. Psalms 22, they pull, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They literally direct quote, put that into the mouth of Jesus as one of his supposed last words. Also, the reproach of men, despised of the people, all that they see me laugh to scorn. Psalms twenty two sixteen, they pierced my hands and feet. Again, where they got the idea of the scourge of Jesus. And then go to Psalms 22, 27 to 28. It says, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. This is the purpose of Jesus in the context of Jesus. All the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. The, in, in the Orthodox Jewish Bible translation, that translates as the goyim shall bow down in worship before thee. He is the Moshel, the governor, over the nations. So this is the purpose of the Messiah was to conquer the nations. All of the references in the New Testament, he's the footstool. He's the uh, all relate back to the context of verses like this, where it's about theologically theological conquest over the nations. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you read, you talked about Richard Bauckham. Now, maybe you didn't quote Richard Bauckham. I, I believe the top two New Testament scholars and majority of people would agree with me in in the world right now. One's Christian, one's secular. Bart Ehrman, Richard Bauckham. Richard Bauckham put it best when it comes to this issue in terms of the conquering people groups and talking about how every ancient Near Eastern group, you know, you talk about the Amalekites, Canaanites, Babylonians. It was about conquering and defeating. But Israel in and of itself was the most inclusively exclusive, exclusively inclusive way of understanding how God was going to get to all people groups. Because again, yes, exclusively, absolutely, they were going to to rule and reign for a time. But then the inclusivity of all people groups being reached is yet again what makes the most sense of our human race today and how God would act if he was a good God and how we judge to be good. Because every other single religion is based off of that type of conquering that type of ruling and a type of you have to be good enough in order to get into heaven but what the god of the old testament is talking about is you did have to be good enough 
at one point, but then all of a sudden I had to become human for you to understand that you actually can't reach it. No human being can. So I'm going to do it for you. And that's when you get the sacrificial language. And that's what Paul picks up in all of his epistles over and over again, talking about how boasting in the cross, talking about how it's not my own good works. I'm a Jew of the Jew. I'm a Gentile of the Gentile. I'm a Roman of the Roman. I I am perfect in every way, but I consider all these things awash, all these things excrement, apart from knowing the grace of Christ Jesus. So it's a brief response. A little longer than brief. Uh, Okay. Um, I hope this is the right one. No, this is it. Well, you asked me to ask a question. Oh, I thought that I thought that was your question. Are are you not? Are you not liking? I saw in your other debates, like none of them got into scripture. So I figured maybe having you see the the scripture in the context will help a a light bulb go off in your head. I really want to deconvert you, honestly. Honestly, Well, what I'm so interested in. Oh, that's why we're having this debate. Can can I show you one more, one more, and then you can kind of give your thoughts on kind of this whole like direction that I'm going with this. All right. Okay. Oops. Sorry. All right. Are you evangelists? Let's hear it. All right. <laughs> so again, Paul references Isaiah eleven ten when he says the root of Jesse, that's connected to the rod. Can you agree that Jesus is the rod? He's the Messiah. That's what that means. The branch, the root, the rod, they're all the branch, same root. thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Psalms 110, Hashem will stretch the rod of thy might out of Zion and rule in the midst of thine enemies. Who's Jesus ruling over but the Christians? Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's considered the nations that are now worshiping Jesus. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Later in on verse 4, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. As you know, in Hebrews, Jesus is, is related all throughout as the, the Melchizedek. And the Melchizedek scroll, 100 BC, written in Hebrew, also kind of goes to show that this this concept of this Pesher, Jesus, Messiah figure was going on before he was even born. And then it says, the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in in the day of his wrath, that's Gentile kings, and he shall judge among the heathen, the Gentiles, he shall fill places with dead bodies, he shall wound the heads over many countries. And also there's this idea of treading the wine press all over. Paul even cites in 1 Corinthians, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. We're talking about a Messiah that wants to conquer the world. This is what Jesus did. And this is the person that you're willingly following. That's how I see you that you've... Uh, that you've been deceived into following this guy that was meant to conquer you all along. And what happens to Christians in the end? When Paul talks about how we've all sinned and fallen short, the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And when he talks about how all of us have enmity, he uses the word enmity, enemies, root conjugation. He says everyone has enmity with God. And so all of us are enemies. And that's what you're getting in Isaiah and other places where yet again, it's ambiguous with this word enemy, because when I, I'm, re, I'm in the Psalms right now, and enemy is used in so many different kinds of ways. But when Paul uses it, it is clear that every single people group is at enmity and enemies with God. 
And even if you are ultimately a Christian, believed in Christ and are saved, you still have a sinful human nature. And so you're still enemies with God in many different types of ways. Okay. Before Paul was born, in the context of the Old Testament scriptures, which come hundreds of years before, in their context, who were the enemies of God and the Messiah? The Messiah to come. At that point, it was other nations. The Gentiles, the nations. And yet, and yet, how certain are you with how the Israelites are judged and killed just as frequently as the other nations by God when they go astray? How sure are you it's not the Israelites as well? Because God's doing a, it, a serious job on them. No, too. no. It, the Israelites are spoken about different. He doesn't include them in the nations. The nations are referring to the non-Jewish world. Yeah, but how do you and, make sense what, of that? What do you have to say why about is God? How, why is God judging the Israelites in many cases in a much more strict, ruthless way than the Gentiles? Because they're his chosen people and because he, he it's a theme that he punishes them for not following the Torah, for going after foreign women or worshiping other okay, idols. So he's um, conquering his own people then. Christians have been deceived to believe because of this myth that ancient Jews uh, killed God, the charge of deicide. And Jews have been persecuted by Christians for thousands of years because of this. What do you have to say about that? Sorry, my children are going to sleep. You're going to have to ask that one again. The charge of deicide, that, that the Jews killed Jesus, what is your thoughts on that and all the persecution from that? Yes, I believe it was... Were they deceived? It was the Sanhedrin, absolutely, but it was more than just the Jews that killed Jesus. I, I'm pretty sure just about every, at least... Every, Again, that goes back to scholarship. I don't I don't want to argue from authority when it comes to the Bible or scholarship, but the majority of people I know at least it would say Jews as well as Gentiles. So well, that's not what the church said throughout history. Many okay. That's not church, what the, that's not what well, the gospels well, 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 say. The gospels what is, make it what does pretty the church clear. Mean? Like you're talking like the Catholic Church, or are you talking about church universal? Or are you talking about fundamentalists? I'm asking you, do, do you think the church that did it, not it was not the church? It, the church didn't didn't blame the Jews for killing God. Many fundamentalist churches did. Yes, agreed. The Vatican did. It was. If you think it was the church, the, the church, church fathers universal, didn't. You think it was the whole church universal? That's a joke. No, I don't think it was the whole church universal. Actually, but it definitely was a lot of it throughout history. So, do you not think that it's totally irrational and ridiculous to to blame people for supposedly killing God and? Without the fact that they did that, Gentiles wouldn't even be saved. So they're almost the heroes of the story that had to do God's divine plan by rejecting him and fulfilling the prophecies. Jesus knew they had to reject him. Christianity wasn't for them. They're the, they're the villains in Christianity. They're, they're the villains, but they're also central and they're also chosen. Like Paul says, they are, according to the Gospels, they are the enemies for your sake, but they are chosen on account of the patriarchs. Mm-hmm. Is that is that not a deception that throughout history Jews have been persecuted because uh, Christians blaming them for not accepting their Messiah? And how ridiculous is it for Christians to even care about them rejecting a Messiah that was meant to conquer the nations all along? It's all absurd. It's all ridiculous. Oh, every single religion has blamed each other since the beginning of time. 
you could easily say that through the Crusades, the Christians were blaming the Muslims, the Muslims were blaming the Christians over and over again. So no, you get that through every single religion. And this whole term of Christ killers, I don't hear, I'm involved, like, so I'm a pastor as well. I, I don't hear, I don't hear Jews and Christ killers used in the same sentence very frequently at all. As not anymore. Like, no, not anymore. No. So no blame game. But you do believe they're chosen by God. You believe that, uh, that this idea that, that the God of the universe would create all of the billions of galaxies and around for billions of years. Cause you're not a young earth creationist, you said, and then he waited until just, you know, man evolved a hundred thousand years ago, but just 2000 years ago, he decides to start intervening and choosing one group of people out of all people you believe you, you affirm and corroborate that chosen status. And I think that's uh, proof in itself that Christians have been deceived. I don't think that's ethnocentric whatsoever. It goes back to the point I was making. God was just as tough, if not tougher, on the Israelites than any other nation. He chose a very small, struggling nation group. And he, the, the root of Jesse you talked about was Jesse's son, David, who was an embarrassment to become king in terms of his stature. Mm-hmm. And God chooses that same type of nation to be a light to the world in the sense of they're chosen for a time. But then they completely lost the type of what I believe how you're defining as chosenness when Jesus comes and then all are welcome. And the simple what, what is the one Bible verse that everybody in America knows, hopefully still? John, John 3, 16. 16. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. Mm-hmm. The entire world. It's definitely mm-hmm. not just the Jews. And if people can walk away, honestly, from reading the New Testament and say, oh, man, that was really unfair how Everybody but the Jews were treated very poorly in the Old Testament, and then the were treated poorly in the New. And no, that's what wow. I'm saying. I think Judaism's treated is is terrible for that for them, just like all the Abrahamic faiths have been terrible for humanity. Here's a point. I think we, that's totally wrong. I think we that, could agree that Jesus. You probably believe that the story of Joseph, right, in Genesis, that he was rejected and sold by his twelve brothers, sold by his brother Judah. which what represents Judas or the people of Judah. And then he goes and rises up to rule behind the throne in Egypt. That is the archetype for the Jesus myth to be rejected by his brothers, rejected by his people, sold by Judas and reign over the empire of the Gentiles, which was Egypt, Egypt at the time. That is the archetype for the theme that they went with, with this Jesus myth. So, I always start with the reliability of the Gospels and the historical. That's your problem. That's your problem. And I move to. <laughs> you need to start skeptical. Med- <laughs> Otherwise, you have a, a preconceived. Uh, you, you already have your conclusion. If you're going to start with it, it's right. Everybody, everybody says I'm one step away from atheism. I'm pretty sure I'm starting skeptical, right? So, so the whole know. idea. This whole I think idea. you're trapped. I don't think you could get out even if you didn't believe it. What in I think the a world, lot of people are like that. What in the world did you just allude to that came to your deconversion? Was it this garbage? Tell me it was something more stimulating and, and more, let's just say, intense in your head and your heart that really led you away from the faith. And was it this argument? What argument? What you're making tonight. That it was a deception to theologically conquer the nations? No, I didn't. I didn't realize that until much deeper research into origins of Christianity and all of these. Verses. So why aren't you trying to? Con- why don't you try and convert me then in the same way that 
the other atheists converted you. Well, you go to college campuses all around the country. I'm sure you've heard all of the uh, so-called Reddit tier arguments. But what <laughs> what what deconverted me was well, I never really believed, even as a young kid uh, being raised in the church. The dipping in the water and the baptism, the drinking the blood, it just felt also like a cult initiation rituals and practices. Dying for my sins when I wasn't even born. And just, it's not even the dying for the sins. It's the believing in the dying for the sins. Why would God not just forgive sins? Why does he have to do this Yom Kippur scapegoat sacrifice? So we're washed in the blood so we could be, it's, it's all nonsense. So it was the theological central message of yes. going back to Paul's first Corinthians 15, three through eight. That was what got you. It was not historicity. It was none of that. No, 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 no. I, I believed in a minimal Jesus history. I thought he was possibly an ancient Jew who was a reformer from Judaism. And this, they, they exaggerated stories about him afterwards. That's what I used to think until I read and studied Carrier's work and mythicism, which I think I'd, I'd advise, I'd suggest that you do the same. This is called modern day debates, but discussing, debating this issue almost feels like olden day debates or ancient debates, because I can't believe that we're still arguing about these things in the 2023 of the year of our Lord. When you say these things, what, what do you mean? Walking, talking snakes, walking on water, blood magic. I can't believe we're still things. arguing atheism, seeing that atheism is literally going to be not arguing atheism, actually. Yeah, but you're, you're an atheist and you're making this all sound I'm an so agnostic. Realistic. Why in the world does like 93% of the world and growing still believe in some type of God if this is so obvious and we're becoming more technological? Because we're scared of dying. More scientific. Okay, so it's just we're all just scared and so we just start believing in a God? Is, is that what you're saying? The world is scared. So the, so the scared... I, I, the world I'd agree gets- that human consciousness is inclined to think about the supernatural. I can agree to that. Like I said, I'm not a hardcore militant atheist. I'm agnostic. But what I will tell you is I don't believe an exclusive group of chosen people are the exclusive only ones that can speak for God. Like Paul says, they're entrusted with the oracles of God. And I don't believe anybody speaking for God. If God wanted to speak and let his message known, he could do it clearly. He can he could he knows what it would take to make everybody believe if he really existed, he wouldn't be testing our faith. In all in, in hiding from us in making everything look like he's not real and this is all just ancient myths. So he would coerce us? I didn't say coerce. How about not hide and make it look like he's not real? See, this is the same kind of thing you were talking about. And why well, we have to rely on ancient scriptures that we don't even have the originals for that were probably copied and copied and, and changed and translated. All right, now we you're have, just okay. Now, one at a time. One. Yeah. Let's take one of your topics at a time. Let's let's just not just try and throw the whole toolbox here. Every tool at, at Christianity. All of a sudden, yeah. you talked about his hiddenness. His hiddenness. Yeah. So why would you disagree with a Blaise Pascal who said that it is perfect evidence for those who have open hearts? The top mathematician ever to have existed, at least in my opinion. Why wouldn't that at least make a little bit of sense? Because he said too much evidence. If God just comes to you as Zeus and this big with, with, with you know thunderbolts and this big powerful, I'm talking about fear, this big powerful God who says, I'm going to smite you if you don't believe in me. And he shows up physically. You're going to believe because of fear. 
like Christians do. They believe oh, there's a that's fear exactly, of hell. That's exactly my point. My point is God doesn't come to you in that kind of way as Zeus. The Christian God is the exact opposite from He's Zeus. He's worse. He's genocidal. Exact He's a monster. In terms of he is hidden, yet gives us evidence. You he have does no choice to believe, otherwise you're going to burn in hell. In he wants to grow in a trusting relationship with us. If he becomes actually human and dies for us, I'm pretty sure, I mean, what other way can you say that a God really loves you than if he dies for you? That's the best way I know. I'm real indebted. I'm not impressed. If you have a loved one or friend who dies for you, that's when you know. He made me in a way where he had to die for me. Loves you. It's the best way to know that he made, somebody or something loves you. He made us in a way where he has to die. It, he's he's fulfilling the the rules that he created. He's sacrificing himself to himself to fulfill his own rules because he because he created Adam and Eve to fall, and he set the trap with the tree and the serpent in the garden, knowing that we would fall and knowing that we would need to be saved. And this is so. Uh, uh, degrading to think that we're born evil, we're born damned, we're commanded to be well. You just have to believe in the blood magic atonement sacrifice and the prophecies, otherwise you're going to burn in hell forever. Forever. The fact that we're even having this debate is proof in itself that there is no God, because if God really existed and he wanted to uh, get his message clear, it wouldn't be uh, debating and fights over these things. There wouldn't be thousands of different denominations that are incompatible. The fact that they put so much emphasis and a virtue on faith, which is the belief in the absence of evidence, the doubting Thomas story, it's better, uh, I paraphrase it, it's better to have uh, believed and not seen. It's saying you don't need good evidence and have faith, and that's good. It's, it's recipe for mind control, to be blunt. Okay, the reason why there's so many denominations is because we're fallible human beings who argue and quarrel, it's especially our fault. over things like religion and politics. So, boom, you get multiple denominations. God could speak to everybody and write the beauty. law on their heart. There's also beauty in denominations. I'm glad that there are denominations because denominations fit cultures very nicely. So it shows different ethnicities abling to show their faith in different kinds of ways. So that was one of your, what, was, what were the other 10 points you made? You made a lot. Judaism is the noble lie, like Plato's noble lie, a foundational myth for the masses to believe in, to unite them and, and give them direction and have them follow the rules. And Christianity is an extension of that noble lie of Judaism, which is to get to theologically conquer the minds of the nations of the world and getting them to worship the one world religion. I mean, what do you want for the end times prophecy, according to what it says in Revelation and in the Bible? A one-world religion, every everybody on their knees worshiping the Messiah? Is that really the type of God's divine end of days that you think is going to happen? And that would be, even be a good thing if it happened? Well, I'd, I'd have to get... I'd have to get your definition of one world. But All the world worshiping Yahweh. Is that not the goal? Yes, that is the goal. Okay. Uh, uh, monotheistic just dictatorship to let you know, where he just calls to let you for know. blasphemy, stoning what blasphemers. What does that look like? Again, see, you're just throwing out all these terms and trigger words, and you're not giving a chance for us to actually dissect them. Like, what does that mean to everybody be on their knees? And is it just the ones who've confessed with their mouths? Be a slave. Their hearts? Like, again, uh, you're, you don't have context. And so this is a type of pretext you're living by. And a so trembling slave. That's what Yahweh wants. Every type of meaning. Really to him. 
He wants groveling <laughs> slaves on their knees. <laughs> exactly. That's what heaven that makes, is worshiping God forever. It's no thanks. That makes total sense. <laughs> total sense in light of what happened on the cross and what came from the cross. Human rights, justice, the abolition of slavery, hospitals, ideas of compassion and sympathy. All of them no. came from the cross, and that's totally no. antithetical to every single thing you just said. The cross has nothing to do with morality or, or anything in history. No, I'm, historically, it absolutely does. Well, I mean, Christianity influenced, you know, the, yes. the West and the world. But yes. the cross the specifically, there's no value in, in the cross. It's just it's just a ancient scapegoat, a retelling of Yom Kippur. Didn't happen. The story, the narrative of Pilate and Barabbas and and them voting to get, keep Barabbas, that's obviously just a retelling of Yom Kippur. Jesus is the scapegoat. He's mocked. They put the, the robe on him. He's a spit on. This is obviously just retelling of ancient stories. So you keep going to this idea that the cross is just empty. It's a, it's a total joke. Okay. Well, and, and sin is ridiculous and atonement. Well, fine. What, what better idea? I mean, Paul talked endlessly about those, by the way, in, in a beautiful way. But he never talked about any biographical details of Jesus. He didn't know he was born of a virgin. He didn't know his mother's name. He didn't know who killed him. He, the way he speaks of him, it's like that he wasn't even a preacher going around that area on earth. He got it's, everything from Peter and the disciples. Everything. No, he didn't. He, he's very adamant that he learned it not from man, but from the scriptures and from the Lord, which is God speaking to him through the scriptures. And what, what is entailed with the scriptures? It's like Bible code, reading all of these different prophecies or verses out of context, and then coming up with, oh, this is a, a new mythology, a new myth based on the old myths. That's no, why it's a, a prophecy deception. So how do you explain so, communion? G communion is cannibalism and the fact that paul talked about the lord's supper or the last supper when he was never even there and he and he gets this before the gospels it it, it makes it seem like maybe that never even happened and it just came from paul and he got it from other um, pagan mystery religions i would just say be careful in thinking that the cross is just something that's a nice piece of jewelry around your it's neck it's a tree I would it's, consider it's, it's the serpent, the brazen serpent about the on the cross. tree is what it is. Yeah, there are four different types of crosses. Yes, I agree. But I would think a little bit more on the cross when it came to, say, the Church of Charleston shooting a few years ago, or say, Botham Jean and that shooting as well with a white racist officer, and how in those courtrooms and in that church, I saw all the documentaries. I was, I got to know the producer actually pretty well, who knows all the families there at the Charleston Amy shooting that church. Do you know how quickly those black churches and black families forgave the white racist shooters who this shot? This is so anecdotal and not related to anything of, of the topic. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just talking about you totally emptied and, and made the cross kind of a, a complete joke. I'm saying culturally and experientially, I don't think you have any clue on how relevant they are and important the cross is to our culture and how to deal with things like lack of forgiveness. Sure. And, and Muhammad is really important in Islam culture. And, and so uh, Buddha is really important in other cultures. What specific, exactly. How, how is that specifically impacting what I'm saying? See, you're just, you just don't want to deal with the reasoning, the rationale when it comes to the intellectual and the experiential, because I think everything you've stated 
quasi-intellectual. I think a lot of it's conspiracy theory. But then none of it is like you wrestling experientially and emotionally. You Instead, believe in the conspiracy theory. Of like, that, that's ridiculous. You that, think there's a ridiculous. God in heaven judging your every thought that has a, a whole end times agenda planned out and that he, he, he created you condemned for hell unless you accept his blood magic atonement of his son. That's a conspiracy. That's the greatest conspiracy theory of all time. Christians are conspiracy theorists. That's why you see all these QAnon people are all false prophets and, and so many con artists and, and uh, uh, Christians out there. And I would say you're That's probably the conspiracy most, theory. You're probably living one of the most inconsistent, hypocritical, daily living, like actual day-to-day lifestyle and your choices. If there objectively is no heaven, is no eternity, if everything is just subjective here and life ends at the grave and that's all, and I can just act like I'm happy, everything's great. That is not I am happy dealing at all experientially with what you're living for and what's the trajectory of your life. Um, a much happier having a liberated mind that's not enslaved to a, a genocidal, jealous God like Yahweh, for sure. Instead of, this is the problem Wait, too okay, with Christians. Just be depressed, though. Be I'm not depressed. depressed. I'm Don't not be an happy. I'm not depressed. Don't be. I, I think that's because you're in denial. I think believing in ghosts and the fear of hell. You're not thinking out your worldview. You're in denial. I'm. If you, what is your worldview? You can't just you can't just step back and say I don't know. One out of I'm time not here. thinking about. Sorry, James. No, go ahead. Let's hear from Adam, and then we'll come back to you, Stuart. Instead of condemning and oppo- opposing the Torah and the Bible. You are an apologist for Yahweh. You condone who who condones slavery and ethnic cleansing and bashing babies' heads on rocks and genital mutilation and and Armageddon wars and all of these things. This is what you are affirming and you're a, a defending, making excuses for. Does that not seem at all wrong in your head that that's that's the type of deity that you have to defend? You show me a Christian suicide bomber. You show me. There's been Christian massacres and holy wars. There's been so many wars because of the Abraham. Absolutely. But if you're telling me right now that the Christians in this world, that I'm going to go out there and say, Hey, yeah, we all believe that you should be bashing babies heads on rocks. This is a dangerous, dangerous worldview. We need to do totally do away with it. If you can honestly believe that and preach and teach that, Yet again, I think that is the most inconsistent, irrational thing imaginable. Yet, it, yet it's in the divine word of God. How do you read it is the question. What is the old and new covenant is the question. So we, we, what is Matthew 19? It's nonsense. That's the problem. The covenants the are nonsense, but you're playing along with this Judeo paradigm, pretending that they're real. Yahweh isn't real. The covenants aren't real. There's no chosen people. It's all made up. You don't need to believe in a blood magic ritual in order to be saved from hell. By you saying that? Excuse me? By you just saying that, it's not not giving any more weight to your, any more evidence to your your worldview whatsoever. Uh, It's all made up. No, but I do have plenty of evidence. I'm just trying to, you know, reiterate what the situation is here. Well, I mean... Yeah, go ahead. Let's see. Sorry, I'm just trying to go back to my notes to see where I left off. 
Um, oh, we could even talk about the Gospels. Not only Paul's uh, epistles are so problematic, but the Gospels are based on Paul's, epistle, Paul's epistles. They're written minimum four decades after the after the supposed events. Because, you know, it's always the most reliable way to wait 40 years before you start writing anything down and be able to get all these, you know, word for word exactly how it happened. Gospels are uncritical, unscholarly, clearly allegorical, written from the Septuagint and from the Old Testament scriptures. We don't know who the authors are until Irenaeus in 180 A.D. We don't know when they were written, where they were written, by who they were written. They're contradictory. They're convoluted. We don't have the originals. Every everything about them, it's like the worst evidence there is. What do you have to say about that? Oh, it's the evidence is only growing in that category. You started off in your opening saying that the Bible is a story. The Bible is the one of the only pieces of ancient history that we have that is a story in the sense of it has a narrative structure, but it's written as nonfiction. If you attach Simon of Cyrene, this is just one example, footnotes in such a way, father of Rufus and Alexander, um, Barabbas, all these proper names, any good literary critic is going to say, oh yeah, that's that's written as, as nonfiction. They're, they're not writing a, a fiction story right here that we should all just say, oh, once upon a time, it's a fairy tale. Like, see, that's again, it's, it shows the, the disingenuousness of this whole piece that so many atheists say, where they just come in and say, oh, it's, you know, just once upon a time, written as a story. It's like, no, contend with it. Actually contend with it and say, it okay. is written as nonfiction, but here's why I think it still is wrong. But see, just, just, just make that blanket statement. I will. Just, you know, uh, lack I've, of been dealing with, I've been dealing with all the details, like slaughter of the innocents. Uh, that's uh, G with Jesus and Herod. That's obviously just a retelling of the story of Moses and the Pharaoh killing all, all the young boys. Nobody, all, all of these kids killed. Nobody writes about it everywhere. No extra biblical proof. The flipping of the money tables in uh, the temple in Jerusalem. No Romans wrote about that. Very inconvenient. Uh, he did all these miracles in front of all these mass multitudes of people, but nobody could write it down. Uh, eyewitness uh, contemporary document. Uh, the, At the end uh, of John. When Jesus died, all of the the uh, the uh, priests rose from the graves. The sages rose from the graves and walked around Jerusalem, but nobody noticed. Like, how can you really think that all these things happen? Just like the Gospel of John, very end of it says, if all the things, all the stories and details of what happened during Jesus's life had been written down, there wouldn't be enough books to cover all those details in the world. That, that sounds Obviously, like, and they live happily ever after. Like, that sounds so fictional. No, no, uh, he's speaking hyperbolically. Come, come, Adam, are you kidding me? That, that's, Stuart, that is ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. He's speaking hyperbolically, but making a beautiful point on, look, I, I don't know if you watch SportsCenter. I, I try and beat my girls to the TV every morning, and I watch SportsCenter. And there's a top 10 highlights every single day. Like, top, top 10 nominee. Okay, obviously, what is written down in the Bible is are the top points that God wants us to understand. No, Jesus peeing in his in his childhood bathroom is, is not going to be in there. There's not a point and a purpose to it. And so the first book, Mark, doesn't obvious. even have the virgin birth. It starts when he's getting baptized by John the yes. Baptist. 
That's exactly right. And then Mark so copied, it and, and then Matthew copied and, sp- and expanded on Mark. And then Luke did the same, copying Matthew no, and they, Mark. These are not eyewitnesses. They were not being Q source. No, Q is Yes, absolutely. They were taking a lot of the source material from Mark. But it was a corroboration. It was definitely, if it was word for he word, was hypothetical. And you would know it was you. serious hanky panky going on for sure. And and so first, just like Mark, an eight, just like decades after two. the fact, then Matthew, then Luke, and then John, which it, they are all contradictory about what his last words were, why he was chosen to die, who he, he reappeared to. When Paul says, here's a giveaway that Paul says, b- believes that the apostles saw Jesus the same way that he sees them in the scriptures, in visions or revelations or whatever. He says, Jesus uh, appeared to Cephas and then the 12 and then James and the other apostles. So why isn't Cephas Peter included in the 12? At that time, it wasn't even 12 because they haven't gotten the replacement for Judas yet. And, and then it says, and then came to the 500. This is what Paul says. Why did none of the gospels, not one of them, include Jesus appearing to the 500 in any of the synoptic gospels or John? Cephas and the 12, he's not excluding Peter. He's including Cephas and the 12. He's within the 12. No, Cephas I don't think Peter. that's the way. I don't think that's 500. In no way uh, did all of a sudden Jesus forget or Paul forget that Peter was part of the 12 disciples. So there's, there's no forgetting going on. There's no amnesia there. No, according to 500, Paul, again, you're, you're Paul just, never you're, mentions the you're word reaffirming disciples. my point. You're reaffirming Paul never the, mentions the disciples. It's only the apostles. Yet again, you're reaffirming my point in terms of how the Bible is written as nonfiction. I'm talking about the New Testament here, specifically Paul and, and what the Gospels talked about. When Paul says the 500, though some have fallen asleep, he's saying, go talk to them. Don't take my word for it. Those who have not fallen asleep, i.e. those who have not died. Why is the 500 not mentioned in the Gospels? So he's naming. If the 500 happened, why is it not in the Gospels? Why would it be in the Gospels? It's, well, that, it's not important. First of all, why did Jesus no. only only after his resurrection only appear to a few uh, uh, people? Why not go on a victory tour so everybody knows that he really came? Go to the Sanhedrin, go to the Roman emperor, go to China, go everywhere. And then we'd actually have a little bit of decent proof that he actually existed and rose from the dead and all these things. But no, we're supposed no. to believe the I women would still went need to him the showing cave up to and me. ran away and didn't tell anybody. Like I would still need him Martin. showing up to me physically and saying, hey, I'm here. What would you like? And I'd say, Jesus, go get me a glass of water. Uh, that's you're not taking it seriously. It's oh, that no, that is serious. I want Jesus physically to show up right here, right now, and prove himself, and then I'll believe in him. And it's just a type of mental ascent. And I'm in heaven, and everybody else is damned because they just didn't get this experience with the physical Jesus. That's legit, right? I'm not. I'm not sure what point you're trying to make. You wish you're, Jesus you're would saying, come and see you in the room. You're, you're just saying there needs to be more God. physical physical appearances to people back then. Yeah. And why not right now? I just need a physical appearance. And then I'll have proof. And then I'll go to heaven. Because I could just grab on like the woman with the internal bleed. And Jesus will say, wow, your, your so, faith healed so you. So does Jesus want to save as many people as possible? Does Jesus want to absolute everything in the Bible, Old Testament too? Mm-hmm. God wants nobody, the Old Testament says, to perish, not one. Okay. So why did Jesus only appear to a few people then if he wanted everybody to believe in him? Because clearly showing up physically and you having a relationship with Jesus physically at a certain time period is not, not only not the only way, but maybe not even the best way to have eternal life. 
if Jesus wants to save as many people as he can, why does he speak in the parable uh, to the, the multitude and in code and speak in parable? But then he only tells the disciples the true meaning because he doesn't want them to turn and understand and be saved. For the same reason why over and over again, we get that Jesus was able to read hearts. So speaking in parables, just like aphorisms, just like metaphorical speech, there were so many ways Jesus spoke as a rabbi. It was scary. He was like the rabbi of the rabbis in terms of mm-hmm. the diversity of speech he used. Yeah, the people that wrote that it definitely were. He was called a sage as well. I was just reading one rabbi, yeah. talking about how he was called a sage in terms of mm-hmm. how many different styles he used. And by doing so, he was getting to the head and the heart, just like every single other rabbi was trying to do in their messaging. So everything he did in that was perfect. Well, that's what the other way. Would the you reason like? that Jesus spoke in parables, that was actually a fulfillment of a prophecy in the Old Testament. I, I don't have it off the top of my head right now, but I was just looking at it earlier today. But Speaking you could say is more evidence. It's from a prophecy, like everything is, to fulfill the scripture. And then Jesus said this to fulfill the scripture. And then to fulfill the scriptures as it was written, he did this. This is clearly just showing, it's just like a literary, you know, game fulfilling prophecy, like a literary contrived construct. I think if the God of the universe was coming to earth, it would make a whole lot of sense to him reference back to that actually God knew what was going to happen and what he was doing. I think that makes a lot of sense. So God, this is God's divine plan is to create the earth fallen and mess up and then have to kill everybody in the flood. Are are you going to honestly, are you going to honestly say right now, if you actually grew up in the church, you honestly, you're going to honestly say to me right now that God created this world fallen and you grew up in the church. Oh no, it's It's Adam and Eve's fault. Uh, Eve was seduced. That, that woman was, had to be cursed with childbirth. No nope. cursed to plow the fields because they were seduced by nope. the devil. And that that was it's, fun, it's funny you God say God let into yeah. barefoot and pregnant. You got to do your reading there too, Adam, because that was to push back when Moses wrote that. That was to push back against one of the cults that was showing that women absolutely were considered to be those who are under the foot of man. So you need to read the mystery cults during the time. Secondly. It's what are this, the mystery? Hold on. What are the mystery cults of the time? I don't know. So many. You talked a lot about mystery religion. You talked about a lot of the ancient. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, and then your piece on the seduction with. with Did you Eve. say Moses wrote Genesis? Moses most likely wrote the full Pentateuch. Yeah. So you believe Moses was on a mountain three thousand years ago, and God spoke to him with a voice and told him, "In the beginning, I created the heaven and the earth and the light no, and the dark." No, how do you no? know the message wasn't passed down? Was Oral it angels? Tradition. Well, just well, like you just down from who? Who was there? Just like, who was just there like you when... disrespected? I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe how you disrespected oral tradition when it came to the Gospels and the forty-year BS that you just said. It was five years. Five years, Paul, and we keep going back to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. It seems like that's what this debate's about. The main tenets, the orthodox faith of Christianity, which is 34% of the whole world, is based off of that passage right there, which was the earliest in terms of manuscript evidence that was five dated five years in terms of the photograph that we would have if we had it, to Jesus' actual death and resurrection. Five years. Even the 40 years, though, let's see if it, let's say 50 or 60 years old. If I granted you 70, that would be still be so close in time compared to 
the next one, which is the closest, would be the Quran, which is 175, the earliest manuscript. And the problem that you keep running into is just oral tradition. These kids at the age of 10 were memorizing the entire Torah. This is how every story and piece of history was passed down. It was through oral tradition. And then these people started to die off. And so they wrote it down five, then to 50 years later. It, that, that makes all the sense. Like, that's not a that's not a hard one. And I don't want you written to get... from a perspective where it's obviously not eyewitness. Like who was in the garden when when uh, Jesus was praying to God that would hurt, know what he said? Nobody there. There's many everything is like that geared in the towards, Everything is geared towards eyewitness. Start, starting no, with Luke and Luke it's and Theophilus. The scriptures. Luke and Theophilus and all the names I started to to mention earlier in terms of the footnotes. That is all saying go check with them the eyewitnesses you get in first peter we didn't we didn't follow cleverly invented stories here are the eyewitnesses so no eyewitness testimony is throughout the entire new testament over and over again no acts, it's not, acts, it's you, not. You, you keep bringing david, up acts david Gerald has, has an excellent acts chapter has, on that in his book acts, it's has, not. acts has 54 eyewitness details within it 54 yeah, and Luke Skywalker sees Darth Vader 55 yeah. times in the Star Wars trilogy. Like it, sure. it's it's a story. You can't use the Bible to prove the Bible in the, in that instance. Can no, we, no, no, I'm not. I, I'm talking about you. separate sources. Separate sources. I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking no, about New Testament. Separate. And then within the New Testament Gospels, they're copying we have six each other. Different sources. Two sources are historical pay dirt. Ancient historians would say we have six. This has nothing to do with the Bible tells me so. And Luke what Skywalker are you talking about? said six to Darth Maul. That has nothing to do with it. Are you, are you are you saying that the Gospels are like independent, different yes. sources for Jesus? Yes. So, and so Paul, you you, and you don't too. you don't acknowledge what scholars have known for a long time that Mark was written first, and then Matthew expands on Mark. Luke takes from both. Yes, so they're not all independent sources. That they're. The majority no, no, no. of Matthew is is in Luke, like ninety percent. They're independent. In, they're independent, but they borrow from each other when they talk to each like, other. No. Conversation. They borrow from each other, and then they change at will. They change different things, based upon yeah, Luke. Luke was based off of Paul. Fictions. Luke was Another based one. off of Paul's biography, autobiography, and then Mark off of Peter's. And so they were eyewitnesses following them around. No, that's just tradition. That's the lore. That's not what happened. Writing these biographies. Absolutely it is. R- read Richard Carrier and uh, David Fitzgerald, and you'll be cleared up on that. arguing based I off of authority. Ask, I want to ask. Good arguing based off authority. You got one. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying they are idolatrous. You're idolatrous tonight. This carrier is your idol. No, I'm not saying they're PhD or whatever they say is true. I'm saying go look at the arguments like I have. I've been watching this mythicism, historicism debate going on for the last few years. I've only heard you quote this guy carrier. And I haven't heard good things. You you can't even be open to the idea that Jesus is a myth because then your whole world will will, whole worldview (laughs) would fall apart. He has to be a real person. Otherwise, uh, I'm a numbers guy. Your identity. I okay, we're well, a numbers guy. Let me ask you a question. I, that's all I do. I, that, that's my entire worldview is based off of that. Let me ask you probability, likelihood, numbers question. Okay, you'd have to admit that it's far more likely that all of these miracles and all of these stories and all of these fulfilled prophecies are just made up myths from the old prophecies than that Jesus really walked on Earth and did all of these hundreds of things, just like all the scriptures said. What's more likely? Of what? That people made it up 
and made up these fictional stories or that all of these miracles actually happened? What's the more likely explanation? The more likely explanation is, like so many scholars say, Christian and secular, that the more ridiculous a story is that's written as nonfiction, ridiculous in terms of the play of how Jews became Christians overnight based off of a historical claim, the ridiculousness of that and how quickly that grew. They didn't. Leads credence to the possibility, not proof. You, you, you misheard me earlier too. You, you kept saying, I was saying proving things. I don't use the word proof ever. I use evidence. Like, oh yeah, you were talking about the Talmud, <laughs> your Talmud and the others. Yeah. I, I am not into, the Talmud does not prove Jesus. What's, no, you that, cited that's it as 25. proof. That's one of the 25 I used evidence. So there's none, but so that, and then you have these people dying for what they know to be a lie. And then you have the growth and sudden expansion. People, people die for lies all the time. That takes not for what they know. It's even true. Not for what they know to be a lie. Maybe they didn't know it was a lie. People die for lies all the time, but not for what they know to be a lie. Uh, if somebody's trying to lie to people, he could end up dead. But again, I've already addressed this. I think these are traditions. I don't, I don't, uh, uh, there would be persecutions anyway. This is, this isn't Ooh. the best evidence you can come up with is, oh, well, they, nobody would have died for it. We know people die for lies all the time. No, I think Occam's razor. I, I, I don't, I really don't think you have thought out your worldview at all. I you think, think you it's more back. likely that the I've, laws of nature. I think you go back and said, I'm an agnostic and that's, that's intellectually lazy and so simplistic, just saying, I'm going to step back here and just try and poke holes in everything, but I have no idea how anything actually came to be. I think that's the easiest way to go. And I think Occam's razor is actually hopping into a worldview and saying, you know what? No, this is this is my conviction, and this is how I believe everything's going to pan out. You're worshiping the search. You're worshiping any, the search, Adam. Any honest person would have to admit that it's far more likely that they just like they knew the Old Testament prophecies and then they wrote new stories that fulfill the prophecies. That's what they look like that they're written. That's obviously the net. There's no supernatural. There's no breaking of the laws of nature in that explanation. Can you admit that at least? There's no breaking of the natural law. Yeah. You think say it again? You think that this that the answer is well, obviously all the magic happened instead of the much more obvious explanation that they just made it up. It's a myth. No, I, I see. If you're going to go to this broad, broad question, not broad. To, it's a very specific question. No, it's not. What's more this, probable? That, because again, this you're getting at the supernatural. It's way more probable that it did happen. No way. Yes. It's way more probable that somebody walked on water and multiplied fish and turned water to wine than somebody just you're wrote starting it down out and lied philosophical, about it. Philosophical question for does God exist or not? See, this is what I mean. So you're trying to box me in. You're trying to box no, you're me obfuscating. in in such a way you're that is totally ridiculous. If you're going to go with all of a sudden just walking on water, it's, it's, it's more likely that's what's happening. Okay, well, now you have to step back and say, does God exist? Does the supernatural exist? Because you're right. If we're not going to ask that question, well, we have no proof no, of it. And no, you're right. I totally agree. Books. The water thing, you're right. Jesus doesn't exist. He's not God. That's ridiculous. That, I agree with you. So it's convenient that none of these miracles happen today. We just have to believe ancient books that used to happen back then. 30 million people in India and Asia alone say that they have encountered miracles. Like not once, not yeah. once in their life, like, like many, many times. Right. 30 billion. Yeah, there's, there's a and lot of there's a lot of people that uh, say a lot of weird stuff. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, they do. But but well, what are you saying to discount? See, it's just your word and theirs. Just your word and theirs. No, no, it's not my word and theirs. I'm yeah, saying, it is. You just said a lot of people say weird stuff. People, I can say you say some weird stuff based off of your world. Based off of your worldview, why, why should I believe in human rights and justice? I mean, why don't you believe in angels? That's because, the same thing. Because the, the golden rule, you should want a world that you would want to live in. You want to treat others the way you would want to be treated. Why do you believe stuff like that? We don't need the Bible and the Ten Commandments to tell us stuff like that. It no, was no, no. I was, ra- I, was raised, I was raised red in tooth and claw. You know, apes should love one another. No, th- that's, that's absolutely ridiculous. The, the powerful devour the weak. You should live. That's not what evolution own. is. You should you live already to get got, your You own. already got corrected on that by I really think, expert Aaron Ra. No, Aaron Ra is so far from an expert. It is scary. That guy is just pure emotionalism. You, no, what he you owns need, you what on every you need point. to focus on, what you need to focus on is teasing out your worldview more and not just hopping to, there's no way that somebody walked on water and there's absolute certainty over Jesus was not a historical figure mm-hmm. and that somehow all of these characters just adopted these prophecies and then just died for them that, that's that's the davidian that's 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 the david koresh that's the jim jones this is not the jim jones branch davidian type of story that's going on here i find it a little hypocritical that you're asking me to question my worldview when i did i was raised christian and now realize that it's not true you I said assume, you never I assume you were raised it. christian too i bet if i bet if you were born in a muslim family that you would probably be a muslim and you would be arguing for allah just the same because i think One of my closest friends left saudi arabia and his family said if you ever come back here we will turn you into the authorities he's one of the smartest guys i know teaches at the best prep school down the road and because he became a christian not emotionally or some missionary reached him based off of what he saw in manuscript evidence and he had to be real with himself and left his family. Do, do you think Jesus, no. like it says in the Bible, is going to float down and save us at the end of times in a cloud with a sword on a horse? That's apocalyptic literature. No. So I that's don't not what's going to happen. Apocalyptic genre. I know. So I don't that, think that's what it says. I don't think that's how it's going to happen. What, how do you know that revelation? How do you know that heaven's up there? How do you know heaven's up it's there? It's not. I don't know that. And it's not. Okay. Neither do I. Yeah. What What does Revelation say is going to happen to Christians in the end time? In the end times? Mm-hmm. We're going to be saved. And there's going to be some serious judgments. The bloodiest book of the Bible. Are you so familiar with all the verses day. about treading the wine press? Is that is that Jesus in your mind that treads the wine press of the nations and smites the nations, as it, as it says in Revelation and elsewhere? Is that Jesus? Yes, it is. Riding that beautiful horse. So you do think he's going to come down in the cloud, like it says. You think that's that's honestly. Oh, I didn't God's, say that. Jesus no, no. is just waiting up in heaven, waiting for the the wars or for the mark of the beast or w- waiting for the plagues and the famines and all the chaos and the earthquakes before he can come down and save us. You really think that's a realistic viewpoint on the world? I've answered that five times. So you're saying yes. That is not meant to be read as historical narrative. That is apocalyptic literature. So it's allegorical. No, it's not. Yes, it's allegorical as well. Okay. So no, you need to know with how the bio, to interpret but, different genres, just like the talking snake. How are you so sure that that's written as historical narrative and that God is saying, hey, guess what, Adam? You're supposed to believe in an actual python coming at you. Mm-hmm. 
And by the way, that apple is a Granny Smith. And if you don't, you're going to hell. Is that what it's saying? No. Okay. It is saying, Revelation 24, it says, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. So you think that according to Revelation, the followers of Jesus are going to be beheaded? Is this God's divine plan? In Revelation, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty on the nations. And again, Revelation 19.10, Jesus is the spirit of, of yep. prophecy. He is derived from the prophecy. That's where they got the idea for the Jesus myth from prophecy. Mm-hmm. And endless amounts of Christians would debate you and say that prophecy is the top evidence for the Christian movement. But yeah, I would they, say, yeah, it's a prophecy Christian. deception. That's the scam that they have magical powers that they can say what's going to happen and then it, it, it magically happens. This might be an opportunity to go into the Q&A. If either of you have any last-minute thoughts to draw together the threads from this debate, otherwise we'll go into the Q&A. We can go to Q&A. I'm fine. Are we going to do like a closing statement at the very end? Negative. Okay. Um, I went first. Does that mean I go first now? Yes, it does. All right. Well... It was a very lively discussion. Very happy to do it with Stuart. I I don't think that he uh, gave me any satisfactory answers to the prophecy deception. He basically conceded to the idea that the Torah is about theologically conquering the nations and the the goal, the objective is having the whole world worship the God of Israel. And I, I don't understand how he doesn't see how that's a deception and the problem in that. The fact that the purpose of the Messiah all along was to theologically conquer the nations and that now he's willingly following that Messiah. Um, the idea of being a Christian and that you are, I see it as like getting the scraps from the table. Like in the story where Jesus calls the, the woman a dog, she goes, even, even the dogs deserve a scrap on the table. It's like we're just, Christians are just trying to get that second covenant, that that sloppy seconds. He chose them, but I guess we get to be fellow heirs and we get to be saved too. But I've seen the rest, the way the rest of the story plays out with the nations being smited and the nations becoming the footstool. When you look at the prophecies that is cited in the New Testament, it's clearly referencing Old Testament prophecies about subjugation of the nations, the Messiah ruling the world from Jerusalem, according to the prophecies. And uh, I think maybe Stuart should do a historicity of Jesus debate. Carrier would be, has Carrier done debates on here before on that topic? Just twice. If you, if you haven't read his book and understood his arguments and seen the opposing arguments and their rebuttals, I don't think that you should be coming to any strong conclusions on the mythical Jesus. David Fitzgerald's book as well. And uh, last closing, I have a playlist on my Odyssey channel where I've got many videos going much deeper into this topic, proving that this is a deception. And uh, I really only scratched the surface and got out the uh, foundational ideas and concepts in this debate. So I encourage everybody to check it out. No more news.org. You got it. Stuart, any last words? Q&A good. 
You got it. We're going to jump right into it. I want to say thanks very much for all of your questions, folks. We're going to try to move through these fast. If you can, gentlemen, allowing the other person to answer the question addressed to them without a rebuttal to every question. If you kind of sparingly give rebuttals, that helps us get through these as I want to get Stuart. I think it's 10 p.m. there already almost. So we're going to move through these fast. I want to say thanks very much for this first question coming in from Thunderstorm says, Adam Green, have you heard of the work of Joseph Atwell, Caesar's Messiah? Of course I have. He has a theory that is essentially like a mirror opposite of what he what I, I'm saying Christianity is. He thinks it was created by the Romans to subdue the rebellious messianic uh, ancient Israelites. And I've had him on my show once a few months ago where we disputed this issue. And uh, I think he is mistaken. But we do kind of see we, we do have some um, similar views, but I think he's overall mistaken. And I'm going to have him back on soon for a, another discussion. Juicy. This one coming in from Jacob B. says, Adam, how can plagiarism in the Gospels, forgeries passed off as Paul and Peter, and one random unknown person saying 500 people saw something and not preserving their testimonials be deceptive? Well, that might not even be a, a, decept, a deception. What I've heard explained is the uh, Pentecostos or whatever the word is for Pentecost. It wasn't referring to 500 people, but the day of Pentecost and some other uh, lore that they had. But I think it's, it's, it shows that the, he didn't appear to 500 people because that's what Paul says in the epistles. But that's not the 500. The vision of the appearance of Jesus to the 500 is nowhere in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, canonical Gospels. You got it. And folks, if you're watching, but maybe you're, I should say, listening, but I know some people will actually listen and maybe they're cleaning their room or whatever while they're listening. There is a poll in the live chat. Do want to let you know what's on the topic of de today's debate. Want to encourage you to click onto that poll. Let us know what you think. Jacob B says, Stuart, would you agree that 5,700 manuscripts preserved by the most elite and powerful in the largest empire in the world for political control is not a deceptive way of preserving the New Testament. I wouldn't consider the monks that. And they were the ones who preserved it. You got it. This from Snake Was Right. Good to see you, Taylor. Hope you're well. It says, Stuart, did your God make a covenant with Samaria? I don't know what that means, Stuart. Can you I tell us what that, that means? No, I, I I wouldn't say he made a covenant with Samaria. That would be extra biblical if he did. This one from Islam is lame says, LOL, Richard Carrier is a fringe scholar. Airman's right. I don't know what they mean about Airman's being right. I know, it, I think it's must. He, he's not fringe, but people want to try to smear him. Uh, uh, Ehrman could debate Carrier, but he doesn't want to. He's backed down many times, so that speaks a lot to me. The Aquarian TV says, Adam, would you... <clears throat> Adam would be much more popular if he argues for the historical existence of Jesus, so that falls way short. I don't know if they mean... I've heard that argument made that if you want to try to debunk Christianity, that arguing for a mythical Jesus isn't the best way to go about it. But I think it's important to understand that the New Testament Jesus is so derived from the scriptures that that's where they got the whole idea for Christianity to begin with. 
You got it. This one from Islam is lame. It says Adam, they have a string of them. So I'm going to try to read through these. Islam is lame and read through these all as one because they're just a bunch of small ones. They said, uh, LOL, Adam cites Frank Zindler, who has zero credentials. Adam cited, quote unquote, scholar Frank Zindler, who has only a BS in biology. Uh, says your quote unquote scholar Zindler had zero historical credentials and then says Adam cites a layperson as one of his sources. I think they think that Zindler is uh, not a historical expert. It's attacking the messenger. There's no argument there. Why? What? Where is there? There's no argument claiming that there is the Talmud is proof that Jesus existed. So that there's no argument there, just a personal attack on the guy that wrote the book. I could I could show you other other people that say that the Jesus in the Talmud is not proof of a historical Jesus. I mean, it doesn't even line up. It's a different story. That the, there's two Jesuses. One of them is like a hundred years before, and one of them is after the supposed life of Jesus. There's many problematic things with saying the Talmud is proof of Jesus. You got it. This one from Arcade Outposts says Joseph Smith was a known con man. L. Ron Hubbard was a sci-fi author. Why hand wave their visions when Paul was an employee of the ancient deep state that wanted to get Christians out of their hair? I think that's for you, Stuart. Um, hand wave. Well, I mean, you, you got to contend again with, did Paul have an actual encounter with the God of the universe or not? And did he have encounters with the disciples and what happened at say the passion and what happened with the resurrection and what about the ascension? So, so no, I mean, you could hand wave him for sure. If those, if those interactions actually didn't occur, otherwise, no, I would say Joseph Smith and making golden plates in your garage and talking about some encounter that he potentially had, I, I, the evidence that I've seen there is pretty lacking. And when I asked recently a Mormon at Texas State University, he said, do you take the Bible literally? And I said, well, it depends what you mean by literally. It depends on the genres. Like Adam and I have been talking about a bunch tonight. I said, do you take the Book of Mormon literally? He literally, <laughs> literally just stared at me for three minutes, not knowing what to say. And so, so no, there's, there's something there that's, that's slightly different, I'd say. This one from the Aquarian TV says, The adversary has turned to the advocate. Uh, I don't know if either of you know what that means. That, yeah, that, that means Esau, who got the blessing that he is to serve his brother Jacob. Esau represents Christianity. It went from persecuting Judaism throughout history to in the last hundred years or so becoming its greatest advocate there was like a flip and there's some esoteric you know connections there but i won't get deep into it today i cover it on my channel in the playlist you got it this one coming in from do appreciate it john thomas says not accepting the plan of salvation is worse than murder a murder can be forgiven but a non-believer gets eternal damnation Stuart. it depends what the non-believer is living for if the non-believer i go right to luke chapter 16 if it's the rich man and lazarus i mean the rich man he's lost his name he's just rich man he's living for wealth and so god respects in, in the most beautiful way of loving a person respects his free decision it's like you know me going after 
an old girlfriend in high school saying, hey, 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 hold on. Can you please just please just continue dating me? I, I know you want to leave, but let me just strong arm you into this relationship. I mean, is it is it loving of me to do that? No. And God does the same kind of thing. It's not loving of him to force you into loving relationship with him. And so he's not throwing you into hell. He's not casting you into the lake of fire. No, again, metaphorical language in the book of Revelation. No, what's happening is more so in the Gospels, written more so as historical narrative, although rich man and Lazarus, absolutely, that, that's not historical literal language there, but it is more specific, I would say, in Jesus' parable, for example, where he's showing that this person lost his name because he's living for money, and that's his God. And so God respects that, steps back. If he is literally the entire vortex of all goodness in this universe, and you choose something like money— yeah, you're going to suffer. Hello? So, yeah, that's how you got to think through it. La- Can I respond real quick to that, please? Sure. Lazarus is uh, Jesus. Is, they want to kill Jesus and John's for raising Lazarus from the dead, and he doesn't even come up in the other Gospels. So very likely, again, he's just another mythological character. And um, you talked about uh, for- forgiveness of uh, sin was the question. All sins are forgivable. Any horrendous crime, forgivable, for, forgivable, except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate crime, according to this moral religion. What's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. I'll blasphemy all over the Holy Spirit, <laughs> all over his head. <laughs> it's an Aaron Rock quote. This is uh, citing their their debate they did <laughs> recently. No, blasphemy of the Holy yeah. Spirit is, is just deconvert. It's, it's deciding I am not going to walk in line with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to walk in line with my flesh. What does flesh mean? Again, not my freckles. What it means is I'm going to live a life solely dedicated to myself. And so blaspheming the Holy Spirit is just totally walking away. So so a that person, kind of makes sense. It's not me standing here and being like, oh, I hate the Holy Spirit. So a person it, that it's does horrendous- emotional type of it, it pretext. It's no, not context dealing no, with it. This this is logical. What you're saying is illogical. You're saying that somebody can commit commit horrendous crimes, but then sincerely and honestly come to God and change his life. But and then there's somebody else that never did horrendous crimes, but just because they don't believe in all of these prophecies and the blood magic atonement, that he's a worse person, that he's more immoral, that he, he his sins that sin can't be forgiven. This is not morality. This is mind control. I'll give you first a chance off, to respond, Stuart, and then we got to go yeah. to the next one. Yeah, first of all, I don't know how that's contradictory whatsoever. That's a total different topic you just stated. But secondly, if you want to go to that topic, Matt brought that up with me as well. If you make a mistake, you want grace from somebody. You always want a second chance. If you make a mistake and you're driving texting and you run over a child – You're going to eventually, I hope, want a second and third chance when you're in prison. So however horrific it is, we are all in in America about second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances in this life. And what God gives us is you get a second chance no matter what. Now, again, it's the God of the universe reading a heart. So if Adam changes after he's murdered somebody, I think you would probably want, I I don't know if you're for the death penalty or not, I think you would want an opportunity to say, wow, I am actually being forgiven here and I can actually have an opportunity to still have a relationship with the God of the universe versus you're a murderer. That's it. I, I wouldn't. So even if I did something bad. Change in life. 
I, I would wanna have uh, somebody who's murdered three times. I do have to. We have to move to the yeah. next one. Let's one. Yeah. Go ahead. Two seconds. I'm just getting this to load. Thanks for your question, John. <clears throat> Claptripism says my hamster Pope Hamsis loves dressing in robes, lighting candles, drinking blood, and eating flesh. Pope Hamsis does all of this while worshiping Odin with his followers. Is my hamster in a cult? This one from Brandon Arlene says, Stuart, can you rationalize why God didn't send Christ to save humanity from sin in the time of Noah instead of killing everyone, especially since that was apparently his plan from the beginning? Good question. Uh, Genesis 6.6, 6, it grieved God greatly, that type of judgment. And if you get into the actual Hebrew, it means like it tore him up that type of judgment. And when you have a nation of every heart and thought as evil and every action is evil going on in the earth at that time, we don't know how, how, how big the population was, probably very small. I'm wiping them out and then starting anew. I think that makes sense. Do I think more specifically to the question, do I think it would make more sense for Jesus to come then? No, I think it makes most sense for him to come now to prove himself to me. Because, again, I'm not going to believe unless he physically proves himself to me and and I can decide how much evidence is enough for me. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question, Oflamio. Says, if Jesus wants to save me, why didn't he call into the debate while it was live? I think you've addressed a variation of this, Stuart, earlier, but if you really want to give a pithy response, I'll give you a chance. I think Jesus is going to give you many, like, endless opportunities to actually get to know him. I, I think it's it's straw manning to say that it has to be a specific, I'm not a universalist, but it's straw manning to say it has to be this narrow. And if you get this right, then you're not getting thrown into the lake of fire. No, I think if you, again, look at context of scripture, as in like Hebrews 11, 12, talking about people who are not going to know Jesus, who are going to be in heaven. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. All, all of a sudden, everybody is just saying you have to say the name Jesus to get into heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. You got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate it. Jacob B. says, will Stuart debate Richard Carrier? I don't know him, but I, I trust I trust this Adam character. So maybe I have to, uh, I, 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 maybe I'd be open to it. Eddie just just Chan. try to read it. Get the audible. That's what I would say. Start with that. <laughs> Eddie Dean says, God demands for our worship, sets rules that we must follow, and says he loves us, yet he never shows himself. How is this not deceptive, Stuart? So, again, you're getting back to physically having to see somebody, the God of the universe, in order to actually say that this is not deceptive. But the claim is that Jesus couldn't physically show himself to everybody on the earth at the time he was here on this earth. So when he died, he sent his Holy Spirit, which is considered something even better than Jesus in terms of our knowledge of. And so it's through the Holy Spirit, it's through prayer, meditation, it's through discussions like this and debates, it's through fellowship at church, and it's through, most importantly in my mind, reading the Gospels to actually get to know this character. And I, I think if you read the Gospels with an open mind and heart, It'll be fairly convincing that if there is a God, this would probably be pretty close to being that God. 
You got it. This one from Good Question says, James, can you poll? Are the Christian arguments in this debate credible? Yes, no. I think that uh, I'm happy to put the poll in, although I've got to say, I think it's going to be pretty much similar to the poll we had earlier where we did poll the question of the debate. The highest percentage, 60%, said uh, that, yes, they voted Christianity is a deception. Although I've got to say, for these polls, one thing is... I think they're oftentimes indicative of like what position someone else is uh, when they come into the debate. But nonetheless, there uh, was the next one was second place was no, it's not a deception, followed by I'm not sure. And last but not least, I'm a self-hating soy boy. That poll option is usually pretty popular. This next one coming in from do appreciate it. Arcade Outpost strikes again, says Judaism still has a day of fasting for the first Pope, Simon Peter, which makes no sense until you find out he was a rabbi who agreed to take them to Rome. (laughs) This is the story from Toldot Yeshu, which Stuart actually mentioned earlier. I was surprised to hear. And uh, I have a video of rabbis explaining this, but I'd take it with a grain of salt on if, if that's the actual explanation of how it started. You got it. This one coming in from Jacob B. Says, Will, oh, we got that one. Thank you very much. Ozian Talks says, Stuart, I have justification for naturalism that says a resurrection and supernaturalism is false. Show the internal, con- uh, show the internal contradiction in my worldview. Well, naturalism can't even get at truth. Naturalism is all about survival. And so you, you shouldn't even really be asking the question because if you're a strict naturalist and from an evolutionary standpoint, you're, you're just about survival and you can't even explain things like <laughs> dealing with consciousness and, and rational thought. So if the internal contradiction is, is he calling, is he, call, is he saying I'm a naturalist and then I also believe what's the internal contradiction, James exactly? I don't know. This one coming in from H.J. Evans says, Thanks to all involved. Appreciate your positivity, H.J. Evan. As well as, I want to remind you guys, I, I don't think I mentioned it, a couple of quick housekeeping things. Folks, if you've enjoyed this debate, we have just a few more questions we'll ask. But I do want to encourage you to hit that like button if you have enjoyed it. This one is a popular one. I've got to tell you guys, this peaked at about 690 live viewers. We're actually still at 620 live viewers, which is pretty high for the live, or uh, I should say for the Q&A. That's definitely really high. So this one coming in from, do appreciate this one from the Canoth. The Canoth says, Stuart, does it worry you that you back into objection? by stating the fantastic claim is true but the more grounded objection conspiracy that's how you get conned are you a con artist i I, i'm missing the question oh they said stewart does it worry you that you back into objections by stating the fantastic claim is true but the more grounded objection conspiracy. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's a little hard to understand what they're saying there. But they are asking, nonetheless, are you a con artist, Stuart? 
At times I am, yes. Okay, thank you for thank you for your honesty. This is Samir Farsain says it's illogical to think life came from nothing, yet you attack a god who claims creation. Easier to be the stick on our wheel than bring forth a solution of your own. I think that's for you, Adam. I don't believe that we came from nothing. I think that uh, that's the Christian creation view: is that God poofed up from nothing or always existed. If he can always exist, then the universe could always exist. And uh, it's the Adam creation story. He's just poofed and materializes from the dirt like in a Marvel movie or something. And Eve comes from the rib. That is not how humanity started. That is not how creation began with uh, magic from Yahweh. I go for a naturalistic understanding. But that's not a naturalistic understanding. No, I don't believe that. I believe... I believe uh, I believe the universe is probably eternal and existed forever. Another edgy could be like R and Raw. I don't do cosmology. <laughs> <laughs> this one coming in from do appreciate it. We got that one. Eddie Dean says, "How is quote unquote believe in me or burn not deceptive, Stewart?" And manipulative, manipulative. Because that is not in Bible. That is a straw man, just like ninety percent of fairy tales when it comes to understanding what hell is. Great American culture. Again, it's not believe in me or believe. Again, to Acts chapter eight. A better definition is trust. So building a relationship. But then two, burning peace, it's pretty logical. There is a God, and we call him the source of all goodness, and you opposite direction from the source of all goodness, then yes, it's going to be hot probably. At least things are going to disintegrate. So, so that's the idea. It's, 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 not, it's not a hard one to comprehend, but if you listen to your great-grandma, who was a deacon at the Fundamentalist Presbyterian Church, telling you you're going to turn or burn, that's where you got that from. So go ask her and, and debate that one with her. You got it. Maticus Minot says God is so loving, so kind that you have to fear him. You have to believe in him or else. Endless life in hell as an alternative. What a kind, loving God. L-O-L. I think that's for you, Stuart. Yeah, just to answer that. All right. Sorry about that. I did not get enough enough sleep last night. No, no, no. no, You you read that one so funny. (laughs) Did I? Did I read that one twice in a row? No, I don't think so. Oh, it was like this. It was basically the same question. Oh, okay. Gotcha. This. You're right. They're they're similar. Okay. Brewmaster Monk says, "How am I supposed to tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and whether or not I might have schizophrenic hallucinations, Stewart?" I think God reveals himself differently in the Old Testament, New Testament, and even some today. That doesn't mean that it's completely different. I think you could have different people have different experiences of God. But for me, it's it's actually very clear. If, if I am lacking in sleep and things are darting outside more than usual, and perhaps I hear a scream down the hallway and I think my child just screamed, but actually my child wasn't there, then 
I don't have schizophrenic, but more than likely it's because I haven't slept in a while. And I think we all experience that versus the Holy Spirit. When you go into a time of prayer and reading the scripture and asking God frequently, show himself more. Can you please clarify on what I should do in, in this tough decision I, I got to make? Then you feel the Holy Spirit moving. But but don't forget, a lot of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit moving is, is again, it's not some type of tangible, palpable experience. Some of the charismatic movement definitely has that more than the dusty Presbyterian type like me. But it's it's just as much so living in touch with God in the sense of I want to empty myself. It's not fun. It's not fun to live in my insecurities and everything like it, my anxieties. I want to empty myself so I can have the God of the universe or I mean, everybody in our nation wants some type of God. They want to empty themselves because they know that that's where you get some type of happiness or at least peace. And so walking in the Holy Spirit, that's what that is versus getting it. You know, focused on my own flesh, which is pride, anxiety, anger, those kind of things. This one coming in from Brandon Arlene says, Stuart, read the definition of sunk cost fallacy and then reflect on why you cling to faith. Can you say there is honestly no overlap? No, I cannot say that, I guess. Can I rephrase that? Because this is a point I was thinking of too, and I'm and I'm not trying to be offensive, but you're in a tough situation. You're almost I, I see you as being trapped in a way. You were raised raised by your dad in the family business. I'm sure your family's all religious. You have a career based on Christianity. Even if you did start to fall away from the faith, it'd be very difficult for somebody like you and everybody's in this predicament to come to terms and admit that uh, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they were fooled also, I think is a, a play here a little bit. Well, with all the people I'm helping in my career, you surely wouldn't want to deconvert me, would you? Uh, I think you're a good guy and you could help people it, uh, maybe even in better ways without the religious uh, inspiration. This one from Charles Lehner says, Adam, the universe is not eternal we live in the present therefore the past is not infinite i think they mean like if it were infinite how could we get to today is what it kind of assumes an a theory of time they say everything that begins to exist has a cause therefore therefore the universe has a cause we're in the present now that doesn't mean that you can go back in time forever and also go in forward time and forever i've never claimed that anything begins to exist who has ever seen or demonstrated something beginning to exist it, you can create things from other things or certain things transform into other things but nothing comes from nothing or just a, begins to exist could just be that existence has just always been around but the only thing that does begin to exist is in the bible story where god just creates everything just with the magic of his words this one from Bite Me says you can you can imagine it's uh <laughs> it's gonna be good coming from yeah, that user juicy. This they say, Stuart, why are you so naive? When are you going to let it go? Religion's outdated. We're advancing as a human species. Think it's time to let it go, dude. The science is against you. All the empirical studies are against you on that one we are only we are only growing if you believe in evolution you should want the gene pool to grow christians are go growing more than two times as fast as atheists so if you believe in evolution and you want the gene pool to grow become a christian 
Otherwise, you're not an evolutionist. You're not. You're not sincere. And Humanity so would never be able to reproduce more, without the Bible. The more That's scientific it. we get, for some reason, the more we have this God-shaped hole where we want some type of meaning in our lives and purpose, and then we reach out. Some people reach out and become Christians or believe in some type of aloof deity because they just need that and they don't have any evidence for it, but they just do, while others seriously look at the evidence. But I don't know why. I really don't. I thought atheism would be growing, but that, that it's shrinking so much it is, is shocking with technology and science proliferating as it is. Even in China, you know, 100 million Christians and atheism is decreasing greatly. It's almost totally off the map with the intelligentsia now becoming Christian is is very strange because I think the Chinese are some of the smartest people now on the planet. So I, I, I would put the question back on you. And I, I curiously, I, I would really love your answer bite me or whoever that asked that question <laughs> we'll see if bite me gives a follow-up this one from samir farsane says an eternal universe hmm you're just pushing the problem back i hope you don't do that with your bills what about souls are they eternal too how about humans that's for you adam humans are definitely not eternal we only live you know, 75 to 100 years, unlike the Bible says that people live to be 900 and have children when they're 90 and stuff. But, um, oh man, I forgot the first part of the question now. Is no problem, I can go back. They oh. say, <clears throat> in eternal universe, hmm, you're just pushing the problem back. I hope you don't do that with your bills. <laughs> and then they say, what about souls? Are they eternal too? Saying God created the universe is solving the problem with just another problem. Because in order to have a complex universe saying you have to have a God, well, then what explains that God? And that's just the infinite regress. That's it's uh, that's pushing it back further. You got it. That is it for the questions. I do want to let our guys out of here. It's already 1030. So I already kept Stuart past the time uh, of both of our speakers actually but i know if i remember right adam you're on the west coast so it's not as late for you at least but we want to say thank you to both of our guests adam and Stuart. it's been a true pleasure to have you folks want to say thanks for being with us our guests are linked in the description that includes we have a podcast all of the debates are uploaded to the podcast within about 24 hours and i've got to tell you Stuart's and adam's links can be found in the podcast as well we had two last-minute questions coming in. This from Eddie Dean says, Stuart, do you deceive people for 10% of their income? I think it's more of a jab than a question. I don't know if they... <laughs> last second jab. We'll blow the bell. Last second. I like that. Native yeah. Atheist says, religion is shrinking here in the West, Stuart. Get your facts right. Oh, boy. Look at immigration. Religion is not shrinking. That's impossible. Just one. Borders, and maybe it'll kind of float, but any type of open borders is going to be increasing. This one from the Canoth says, to clarify, by the way, Canoth, thanks very much for your super generous super chat. They say, to clarify the earlier question, claim X exists. Based on the existing evidence, there is a reasonable hypothesis A. Stewart claims Hypothesis B, though, which claims facts not in the evidence. He did this repeatedly tonight. Also, 
So we'll, we'll give you that first, and then they have a second question that I'll ask you right after. It's a separate question, so I do want to give you, just because the ideas are distinct. What are the facts? I, I would I need facts outside of the evidence. What specifically are you getting at? We'll give them a chance to respond in the chat to your question, Stuart, in terms of like which, con like the context of where their question applies, where they're trying to press you. But the second question that they had, and I'll keep an eye on the live chat, the can off for your responses to it. And don't worry, you don't, you don't have to put your response as a super chat. Just put it in as a normal chat. And I'm happy to do a follow-up question to Stuart based on that. They said, uh, also source, what is your source on the rates of religion in particular of what's your source that religion or atheism they said religion, so I'll stick with their question. What's your source that religion is increasing globally or in China? Pew Research and a few studies out of the Washington Post. Um, is it declining in the West, in Europe and America? Yeah, it's yeah. going from like 12% down to 8 Um, But that, you know, those are pretty, those numbers are pretty easy to get. The numbers that are harder to get are like, how many Christian med school doctors at Harvard are there? Because you can look in Nature magazine or you can look in a more you know, potentially religious magazine. But the ones out of Pew Research on specific like where are religions and atheism at, those are pretty unbi unbiased and accurate. Just to be sure, just in case there was a misunderstanding of Adam's question, I think Adam was saying, do you agree that religion's decreasing in the West? I think you said 12% to 8%. Oh, oh, I think he said atheism. Oh, maybe he did. I, I might be wrong on that too. No, I said religion, but yeah, those the, those wouldn't be the stats. It's higher than that. I think it's. I saw something recently. It's like sixty down to fifty or something like that. Wait, wait. Your question was. Wait, wait, hold on. Your question was: Is religion religion decreasing in the West in general? Like, yeah, Europe, U.S. No, um, in Europe it is greatly. Yeah, like apathyism is huge, where it's just people don't even care. It's like there's not atheists, there's not theists, it's just, and not even agnostics, it's apathies. Um, so yes, yes, church attendance is 6% right now in Europe, 6%. It's insane, that's weekly church attendance. Um, but in the U.S., no, religious nons are increasing, so that means the amount of like guys and gals in our generation are leaving church. That's absolutely true. But in terms of spirituality and belief in God, that's increasing. Um, is that Christian? No, not necessarily. But supposedly in five to 10 years, 60% um, or more of the U.S. is going to be Christian and Muslim. This one coming in, and Ken Oth, don't worry, I'm keeping an eye on the chat. Uh, Maticus Minot says, when you are born into a religious family, 90% of the time you will defend it until death. I love these stats. Love them. 85% of all stats are made up. Yeah, no, it's... It's uh, that's that's so true and so false at the same time, because I know so many, so many college students, like 75 percent of college students leave their faith when they go to big universities. And it's just the sociology of knowledge. And it's just the, the pressure from the outside. It's like whoever you're around. So, yes, there is. I'm not saying that person's wrong. It's, it's like you're, you're around your family. So you're going to have a type of cross pressure where most likely you are going to accept some of their ideals, but that's going to be exactly the same if you, if you go to certain secular environments as well. So it's a mute argument. 
This one from Vesper says Jesus quoted from Daniel, which is a known forgery written 500 years later. At the least, or at the very least, that makes Jesus ignorant and Judeo Christianity a deception. I'm guessing that's for me. I think so. Uh, Daniel chapter seven is is a huge piece of of prophetic um, credibility for what Christ has to say and and revelation. So I that, that's that's absurd. I've never heard that argument. I've always heard it pro. You got it. This one from Samir Farsane strikes again. Says, if you discover a new island. Then inside you find a log cabin. What are the chances you'd believe that you had discovered a wild house? And so by that they mean like a, I think they mean a, a house that just occurred naturally. Like the logs fell into position to form the house by chance. They say, so why do you believe in a wild universe, Adam? Because that's the universe we lived in. It's wild. This one from Brandon Ardeline says, no question, just want to support and simp for James. Thanks for your support, Brandon. And this one from, I saw there was a question, a standard question in chat. Do you want to remind you folks, uh, the reason that we read the comments during the question and answer is if you do a super chat, we're willing to read a comment or an insult towards Stuart. But we are, but in particular, we do, uh, we otherwise we ask, you can tag us with modern day debate and you can just put a standard question. So for example, can in Christ put question and they just tagged me and they said, uh, modern day debate, I have always learned that the Jewish idea of the Messiah was a military conqueror and king while Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world though. How do you both ignore this? I think they're saying, how do you, Stuart, and how do you, Adam, respond to this? Uh, I'll go first. I believe that ancient Judaism had a concept of two messiahs. There's Moshiach ben Joseph, who was the suffering messiah, and the Moshiach ben David, who is the military victorious messiah. Moshiach ben, ben Joseph comes first. And uh, and it dies and atones and is the heavenly high priest and these things. So some of the prophecies are alluding to the suffering Messiah and other prophecies are about the second Messiah or the second coming. This one Jesus didn't finish. Jesus didn't finish the job the first time. So he has to come back. This one from the Kanoth. So they, I think they were responding to you, Stuart. This is when they put in a super chat earlier and we said I'd give them a chance to give a quick response. So they originally in their question, they put to clarify the earlier question, claim X exists based on the existing evidence. There is reasonable hypothesis A, yet Stewart claims hypothesis B, which claims facts that are not in the evidence. And then Stuart, you said, well, wait a minute. When did I do that, though? Like, what example do you have? And they responded in live chat. They said Stuart makes up a narrative to explain an objection raised rather than dealing with the knowledge base we have and the explanations generated by that. Yeah, was that knowledge base a single man with the last name Carrier that I have to go by? If that's the knowledge base, that's a little shaky. The narrative I talked about was the narrative that 
every orthodox evangelical scholar goes by. And that narrative is inspired by the very text that we kept going back to, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, and it lines up perfectly with the scriptures that were passed on, coming from the Old Testament all the way down through the Gospels and through the Epistles. So I don't, I don't know how you can make that, that kind of push. You got it. Maticus Minot says, I give you this for your pain for getting the subway tattoo. Folks, it is. I appreciate that, Maticus. It's true. I have a 12 by 12 inch subway tattoo on my back that I got this summer. If we can get to 300 likes before the end of the stream, I will show you that tattoo in the post credit scene. So do hit like. And in the meantime, we want to let our guests out of here on time. So we want to well, I'm hanging you. around now. I'm hanging around. Why did you do you lost a bet? Why did you do this? Over the summer, Subway had a promotion where they said one lucky fan, if they get it, you had to do it at a certain location. So I flew to Las Vegas and I camped out for two nights and I got a Subway tattoo on my back for Subway for Life. So it is it is the real deal. I really do I'm not joking. I have a monstrous subway tattoo on my back. And I do for real folks, if we get to 300 likes, I will show you the tattoo if you don't believe me. It's the real deal. And I did. I basically I didn't sleep for two nights cuz in Las Vegas, you know, it's hot. But with that, I do want to say our guests are linked in the description. I will be back in just a moment. I want to say thank you guys for all of your support in the live chat. Thank you for all of your questions. This one, <coughs> they, they, I think they were responding to, oh, I, I want to get out of here. want to let our guests go. Thank you guys. Stuart and Adam are both linked in the description, and that includes the podcast. Thank you, both you guys. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, James. Enjoyable. Appreciate you both. Thank you. Again. Stick around, folks, for the post credit scene in which I will show you that tattoo if we get to 300 likes. And I'll be right back in just a moment. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.